You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Welcome to a special Season 7 Postmortem Edition of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, June 11th, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. In this special postmortem, we are going to discuss the seventh season of ABC's Once Upon a Time in its entirety. We're going to break down the season by going through the various storylines within each character as well as the overall storyline of Season 7. Please welcome my co-hosts to our special post-mortem broadcast, Vinny Hatcher. Well, hello. Oh my. Heather Bishop. What's up, guys? Jenna Pace. Bonjour, mes amis. Top that. And Katie. Um, hi. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> you had to make me go after Jenna. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Jenna Pace. Before we start our special season seven postmortem, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement.
PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. Okay, everyone. So, if you've listened to us in previous seasons, you know that we love a postmortem. We do. We used to do these uh, after, like, the arc. Like, remember back in the Dizay when Once Upon a Time used to split its seasons with, like, one storyline in the fall and then another storyline in the spring? At some point, I know it was a a couple seasons into that, I had the idea to do a postmortem at the end of an arc just to sort of go over everything that we saw. You know, because I feel like after that arc is over, you sort of have a a clear head on what you saw, maybe you have different opinions, you might have the same opinions, but I feel like it leads to a really interesting discussion. Last season, because they kind of got rid of that approach, although if you really think about it, you can tell what the arcs were. There was a clearer arc in the fall, and and there was a clearer arc in, in the spring, but they sort of did away with it, at least officially. So we did one at the end of the season. And this season, because it was pretty much the same, you know, it was just another full season, we're doing it at the end. And um, sadly, it is also the final season. We're going to be looking at this through the eye of it being season seven. And we're going to go over the entire season, breaking it down into various categories and uh, discussing the intricacies of that category. Our first category, because I figured this would be the easiest, are heroes. So I'm lumping all of our heroes together in this category, and I want to go over the various arcs that our heroes went through in this season. Foreshadowing alert, we will be discussing the villains right after. So focusing on our heroes... I'm going to ask Katie to kick us off. What did you think of our hero characters in season seven? Well, they gave us they gave us a lot of them. I feel like they introduced a lot of characters. Well, obviously they did because they lost a lot of characters, so they had to introduce a bunch more. Um, we'll get into the villains later because I felt like there was a lot of those, but I felt like we had some really strong heroes as well. Um, for instance, I really loved. Tiana. She was Tiana and Alice were probably two of my favorite favorite heroes. I guess you can put them in that category category. Heroes that they added to this season. Um not only were they um played by very talented actresses, but the characters were just great. I loved them. I feel like we we definitely got a lot more of Alice than we did get of Tiana. I wish we had seen more of Tiana. I feel like we only got like one backstory for Tiana and it left us kind of with questions that I feel like we never got answered um, on her backstory. Um, although you can kind of assume the backstory if you've seen Princess and the Frog, but 
um, still, there's always the once upon a time twist to the characters. So um, I feel like I was a little underwhelmed and I wish we had seen more of her, um, particularly in the the uh, magical realm because we got to see more of her in Hyperion Heights, I believe, just in little scenes. Um, I really wish we had seen more of her in the magical magical realm because um, I really liked what we did see when we saw it and I wanted to see more. Um, so I was very impressed by her character, um, but I, I was also impressed by Alice's character. She was such an interesting character because she also, we saw, we saw more of her in the magical realm than we did of Tiana. Um, but I still feel like most of her scenes were in Hyperion Heights. Um, we got like a couple backstory episodes for her where she was an adult. We actually, if I'm remembering correctly, we only got one backstory with her in um, Wonderland, which was interesting to me because when you think of Alice, she's supposed to be from Alice in Wonderland. And we only got to see her like once in Wonderland, which is, of course, putting the Once Upon a Time spin Once in on Wonderland character. on once? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once in Wonderland on once. Exactly. So, um... A spinoff really coming wish- soon. Yeah, To ABC. Exactly. It's just one episode long. <laughs> I wish we had... I wish we had seen more of her backstory in Wonderland. But for the stuff that we did get, I really liked it. I love Rose Reynolds' acting. She did such a good job playing a character um, that kind of took on took on qualities of the Mad Hatter, in my opinion, because she was really confused in Hyperion Heights, um, seemed a little crazy. Um, but... It was acted very well, and I loved her dynamic with um, with uh, Rogers, especially with her father. Um, I thought it was it was a very interesting twist because I don't think I was expecting that um, at all. And then um, I don't even know what I was expecting when we were getting just getting information about this season, and we heard about Alice. I feel like. I was not expecting Alice to have a, as huge of a role as she did. And I'm kind of glad that we did get to see her a lot because I really liked her character. Um, I really liked Andrew West as adult Henry. Like, for me, he was, like, one of the standout performances because he did such a good job embodying Henry as an adult form. Because I believe... He studied Jared Gilmore's acting, and he watched all the seasons. He really studied his acting and tried to emulate that in what he did um, and what he did for this season. And I think he did a fantastic job. Um, if you and you could see you could see that, especially in the last the last couple episodes where we got to see them acting next to each other. Um, I. it's hard to believe that um, he's not actually a grown-up Jared Gilmore because he does such a good job portraying the character and picking up on the quirks that um, Jared Gilmore had when he acted as Henry. Um, He just did a fantastic job. I've always liked Henry, um, 
he, you know, he's a kid. He would get annoying every now and again. That's just, that's just what happens with kids. But um, I always loved Henry's character because he was always one who um, had the, was the truest believer. And it was so interesting to see it in this season where he he, you know, doesn't have that much hope. He doesn't know who he is. Um, he's got to break the curse. But he still has this optimism after Lucy finds him um, and he starts to really get into it. He does start to have this optimism. And it was kind of fun. It's kind of fun to compare that to Emma in season one um, when she really came from having no hope and she brought this her kid back to Storybrooke and then she decided to stay and um, make sure he was okay and um, it's kind of what Henry did with with Lucy and then as both Emma and Henry um, did in their respective seasons um, they started to have a little more hope and to really fight for um, what was right and I just I really liked that a lot. Um, I also really liked Ella. Um, she was she was great. I loved her dynamic with Henry. I loved their story. I wish we had gotten to see a little bit more of their story. Um, but I did really like it. I feel like they fizzled out on Jacinda's story towards the end of the season. I feel like we got a lot of her in the first half of the season, and then she started to fizzle out towards the second half. Um, because, I mean, I know there was storylines that they really needed to start working on for the second half, and they had to start gearing up towards the finale. Um, so we kind of lost a little bit of steam with her character towards the end. But regardless, I still liked her character a lot. I know she was one of the new characters that was picked on a lot by the audience. A lot of people didn't like her, but I actually liked her. Um, I enjoyed her character. I loved her and Henry's story, um, both in the magical realm and in Hyperion Heights. So that was fun. And then the last little one that I wanted to touch on was Lucy. I, <laughs> I loved Lucy. I wish... We had gotten to see more of her. I feel like we saw more of young Henry in season one than we did of Lucy in season seven. But the stuff that we did see was really good. She's she's adorable. Um, she really reminded me of her father. Um, it was just she was a cute character, and I did I did enjoy um, what we did get of her. So those are kind of my thoughts. Um, there were a lot more characters, but I really. I think my favorites, my the standouts for me, were probably um, Tiana, Alice, and and um, Adult Henry. Okay, awesome. So I also like to highlight some of my favorites and maybe discuss a little bit why some weren't like some of the flaws of the heroes in this season. But first, I want to highlight my fa some of my favorites, and the start of that is Wishhook because. He was such a hard sell on people. On people, and Katie, you know, you're also a big Hook fan as well. Going mm -hmm. She's a big Hooker. He, yeah. Also, yeah. They're known now as the O'Donnell Crew. Anyways, um, so with with uh, with Jennifer Morrison leaving, everybody was afraid. What's going to happen to Captain Swan? What's going to be Killian's new arc? And they give us Wish Hook, and he was a really controversial character when the Wish Realm aired. But they 
managed to turn this character, this joke character, into a sympathetic, likable, interesting character with so many fun dynamics. They played around with old dynamics and new dynamics and gave us something just so special. I always liked seeing him, and I really wish I had highlighted him more as a character um, throughout the season. But, you know, other characters were sticking out, too. But he was just really well done and, yeah, just genuinely likable. He had a cool story um, matching him and a profession that made him relevant throughout the whole season and worked with a lot of his other dynamics, namely with um, Tilly-Alice and Rogers-Weaver. And their connection ended up being something fantastically special and was a spiritual successor that many fans would have liked to see with the original Hook, but given the circumstances... It's so understandable, and it's just, it's so interesting. And the way that it works, especially into the end of Rumpel section, I'll get to him in a moment, it's just beautiful and really speaks to um, the, the, the foil nature of those characters that's always been there since the beginning of, the, since the beginning of season two. Um, Rumpel also was another character who was a really hard sell, and he managed to really impress. I mean, in season six, he was redeemed. And as talked about before a little bit, a few of us weren't really buying it because he really, especially in season six, he went to a really, really, really dark place, a place that he'd already been kind of going to in seasons five and four. So his redemption was a hard sell. But again, immediately, right off the bat, they show him as somebody who is somebody who is getting better, who those years spent with Belle in the Edge of Realms and spent um, transfer going around the realms with Gideon and Belle really changed him and made him and made him and made uh, made him into a better person so that he finally was somebody who could be able to overthrow the power of the dagger. And then the way that he actually shows that with his interactions with Alice, especially in The Guardian, when he finally is a hair away from getting what he wants and actually willingly gives it away because he sees the because he sees that same vulnerability in Alice and not understanding exactly what immortality entails, or even if she does understand it, not deserving such a burden. That speaks so much to his character growth over the seasons, and it just really makes us root for his happy ending. So when he finally gets it, when he and Belle are finally interacted in the um, reunited in the afterlife it feels earned it's a tear-jerking moment it's everything that it deserved to be so yeah and um i also want to highlight and finally for like the amazing characters i want to highlight alice because as katie spoke to it she was just very interesting and i don't think anybody really expected her to be have as big of a role as she did but damn the writers took advantage of it the um what's really interesting about alice in both worlds is how she sells both mental illness, and this feeling of being isolated. But at the same time, there's always this hope of things getting better. She's always trying to connect to people. She's always showing love to people. It makes her an interesting foil to Gothel as well, who, while, while isolated and desolated, turned to hate while she turns to love. And she always has that kind optimism, never wants to hurt a fly, and she's rewarded for it with the best of humanity and the strength to take down people. And her relationships with everyone are great, but of course, gotta highlight Rogers, because it's just cute. You feel the years in the Enchanted Forest, and you feel every bit of tragedy of them not only being so far, but in Hyperion Heights being so close and yet so far. 
with Rumple. I've discussed that already, how there's just this kindness being rewarded with more kindness and coming back and just blossoming beautifully. And Robin, just an adorable, kind relationship. It's just great and beautiful, and it speaks to just so many great qualities. Um, and I guess I want to talk just briefly about maybe... I'm, you know, a lot of the heroes didn't really get the time they deserved. Um, Katie spoke of that briefly with Ella and Tiana, and I couldn't agree more. It's sad because at the beginning of the season, they really were built up as main characters. And, well, Tiana definitely got, oddly enough, like, both more and less screen time as it went by, despite becoming a regular after her, after um, the writing of her of her centric didn't really get the, didn't really get the time she was deserved to get because they, they did so much with her when she was on screen. So it's a tragedy. We didn't get more about more of her, especially because she was a queen. She was a resistance leader. There was so much to show with her and we didn't really get to, and we didn't really get to see that. And with Ella, despite getting a lot of screen time and some pretty favorable moments, she she was reviled by a lot of fans, and while I really did enjoy her relationship with Henry and Ella, I I kind of wish, I felt like there was something almost missing to it at times. It, it got better as the season went on, I think, but it also kind of did like a, like a bit of a bell curve, like a reverse bell curve. See, like episodes one and two started really, uh, really strong, and they kind of got worse and worse, and then it picked up again around the, around the midpoint of the season. And Part of me is just thinking maybe marketing kind of oversold it. Like Adam and Eddie kept saying in interviews, this is going to be the next snowing. So when you come into a sh- when you come into a new season, thinking, okay, this is going to be Henry's epic romance, and while it was epic, maybe it was just projected to be a little bit more than it ended up being. Especially with Henry's story being about you don't have to be this big epic hero; you can just be Henry. It was a weird case where real life kind of juxtaposes the. The message. But, yeah. Uh, so, Season 7 overall had a lot of hits. And I, I didn't even get to Regina, but I'm sure Jeff's going to touch upon that shortly. And Vinny and everybody else. But, um, it had so many hits. It had a couple It had a couple of misses. But, genuinely, more. It, there was more better than there was worse. And I'm genuinely happy with how the heroes turned out. So I did want to touch on uh, just a couple of things about the heroes that um, we saw during this season. And I think it's very interesting because we had some very really clear-cut, wonderfully conflicted, but very clear-cut, these are the heroes, these are the villains in this season. I thought that was really... um, Harkens back really to season one, because throughout other seasons, you would always be introduced to a new character, and you would always kind of wonder, okay, what is this character, where's the the plot twist going to come in with this character? So it was very nice to kind of have that very simplistic, uh, and not saying that all the characters were simplistic in that way, but simplistic idea of characterization. These are the good guys, these are the bad guys, go. Um... Uh, I really, really enjoyed Henry this season. Henry's always been one of my favorite characters. Uh, he did kind of annoy me a little bit in seasons two and three, um, but you know I think that's probably uh, 
So it's just because he was a little kid growing up and he was a little sassy at times. Um, But I I really enjoyed having him at the forefront and carrying these episodes on his back. uh, Like really like he did back in season one. I thought it was a really nice ending to his story. I thought that they brought in some of the conflicts that were kind of underlying through maybe like seasons three and four, even as late as season six, and bringing that to an adult Henry who has to kind of go back through everything that he's already processed as a teenager and as he was growing up, because now he's cursed. So, And I thought that they, they handled um, cursed Henry's persona and uh, what I guess you would call past Henry's persona very well in paralleling them throughout the season and showing him as a very well-rounded, complete character. Um it was just very, very nice to see him at the forefront of almost every episode again, because he is the character that really brought everything together back in season one. Uh, I really did like Lucy as a character. Um, Katie said some pretty much all of my thoughts on Lucy. I did just want to add uh, one or two other things about her. I didn't buy her as well as I did Henry back in season one, whenever they first introduced her. She was a little bit... You know, there were some mm-hmm. hiccups with her character. Yeah, I but, agree with that. And, and I think I think most people in the fandom kind of picked up on those, just because there was just it was as if they were set trying to sell her to us as the same way the same way that they sold Henry to us, but without the connections that we needed. Um, but by the end of the season, I thoroughly enjoyed her character. She was quite adorable, and I think that she, as a young actress, really carried her character well. Um, I also really enjoyed following her on Instagram and seeing how much fun, and I can't remember her name at the moment, but that little girl had so much fun on this set. Allison so. Fernandez. Oh, Allison Fernandez. No, no, you're good. Thank but you. But she was, she, you could tell she was having a ball on this set, so that was cool. Um, as far as Wish Hook goes, who actually became one of my um, top characters for this season, which is surprising because I don't always like our original hook i feel like this hook really they were able to give him a more sympathetic view less of um and i I hate to call hook an asshole because he was kind of an asshole at times but not really um but that kind of smarminess that you love about our captain hook they were able to kind of incorporate that but with more of a a sympathetic plight to his character and it made me love that character so much more and connect with Rogers more than I ever did with um, our original Captain Hook. Um, I also did want to talk about Regina, who um, I'll talk talk just very briefly about, because it was awesome to see her as a hero from point A to point B, um, without any of the, you know, hesitancies that she might have had in season five and season six, because she was, by at least season four a full-on hero she was on that side but you were still dealing with some of the implications of her being the evil queen and it was really nice to leave that behind the season and see regina as a fully redeemed character who is going about her life doing the best she can as a person realizing that her past is her past she has to live with that and, and just going forward i loved her interactions with ivy and how those two characters really paralleled one another and showed um, kind of a path that Regina could have taken if she had had someone there for her who wanted what was best for her. Um, I also enjoyed her interactions with the um, 
with the, I guess, the sub-charming family, Henry, Jay, and Lucy, um, that was, it was nice seeing her with her granddaughter and the um, relationship that they had obviously formed back in the Enchanted Forest. Uh, it was really, really, really lovely to see how well Lana Perea and Andrew J. West were able to pick up on chemistry that she, that Lana Priya had with Jared Gilmore because they lit up the screen every single time they were on and they had some really beautiful moments this season that really sold the fact that Andrew Dre West was supposed to be an older Henry um, and surprisingly I really enjoyed the sister moments between Regina and Zelina they were fantastic and handled appropriately to the point where you really buy the fact that these two characters have been through several several years since we've seen them and that they've been through events that have changed them and made them realize that you know like i said earlier their past is their past they have to deal with that but that they can still move forward um and the last person i want to touch on and i'm just going to touch on him very briefly because i've said so much is rumpelstiltskin and i i really enjoyed seeing uh, his character was still with a little bit of the conflict that you always are going to have with that character probably but i enjoyed seeing him fully on the side of the heroes and except in the one or two instances and being um a character that you could really root for this season uh well <laughs> i i can't think of anything everyone kind of covered everything so uh i guess the only other thing that i'll say is that i i just think overall just so the heroes in this season i do agree that there were quite a lot of them and i think it was hard at times to give everyone the story that they needed and the time that they needed but i think at the end of the season one of the biggest things that we did find was that whether they were given a large arc or a small arc or whether they had a lot of time or short time one of the greatest things to see was all of these people come together excuse me come together at the very end where we had some of our previous heroes from previous seasons our current season where there had seemed like they're in the beginning of the season, two different kind of casts that were integrating and we were having poor time getting everyone connected and having a seamless story. They wove everything together as the series progressed and brought these different people together through the flashbacks and through current day events. And that allowed us to have a really diverse and interesting cast of heroes this time, as opposed to having, you know, just Emma or Regina in the forefront with like the charmings and just behind them a little bit. This season, I really did feel like everyone was in the forefront because they all worked so well together. And by the time we got to the end of the season, they were such a cohesive team, even when they weren't working together, that the last two episodes of the season were such a pleasure. And just to wrap things up, uh, because my amazing co-host did a great job of uh, basically talking about everybody, um, I was actually worried. I was like, Katie is taking all of the heroes. (laughs) (laughs) I I left a few for you guys. There you go, like two. (laughs) But uh, I really enjoyed our heroes this season, as flawed as some of the the, they were and as um, just phenomenal as others were. I loved our new people. I definitely have to echo Katie. Tiana was amazing. Good grief. I just loved Makia Cox and what she did with the role. And uh, Alice and Robin were really good, too. We, we got a tiny bit of Robin. We got a lot more of Alice, and Alice was just fantastic. And our core group of heroes, we had a grown-up Henry, Andrew J. West did a really great job of really being 
Henry Mills. Uh, you know, it, it has been stated in uh, interviews that he looked back at footage and that kind of stuff to sort of get some mannerisms and whatnot of uh, Henry, and he did a really great job of portraying an adult Henry. I also loved, obviously, my girl, Regina, you know, in full heroicness this season, as well as Rumple. I echo what uh, Jenna said uh, that this was a very different Rumple, and Katie knows for me to say that I liked Rumple at all is like a huge step forward because I think for the past two, <laughs> at least maybe three seasons before this of, of podcasting, boy, was Rumple getting on my last nerve. And, uh, I liked Ella, too. I know that she got, like, a mixed uh, feelings online. Ella, in the Magical Forest, as we called it, was a lot of fun. She was a kick-ass character, and I know that they kind of had to uh, water her down a bit in Hyperion Heights because of the curse, you know, vis-a-vis Mary Margaret versus Snow White. But Ella just being kick-ass in uh, the uh, Enchanted Forest 2.0 was a joy to see. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anyone or if if we sort of overlooked anybody. Uh, I would just say that the heroes were on point this season, and I liked what they did with them, and I liked seeing uh, the new interpretations of some of the heroes that we've seen in the past. So let's move into the villains of the season. And boy, was this the season of villains. There were villains all over the place. I will say that uh, Heather mentioned that this season, it was kind of clear who was a hero and who was a villain. There was one villain that uh, took us for a whirl at one point. Um, We didn't see him as the candy killer. So that one came out of the blue, I would say, out of all of the villains. But everyone else, it was kind of clear-cut, although you could say that Facilier was a bit in the gray area. Um, Vinny, we'll start off with you. Talk to us about all of the villains. There were at least, I think Jenna Pace was keeping a count. How many villains were there? Like six? Six villains. Um, there were. There was um, <sighs> Lady Tremaine, Drizella, Wish Rumple, Nick... Dr. Facilier, and Gothel. Yes. So, Vinny, you may start, since you are the villain of the podcast. <laughs> he is the Russian judge. Uh, I don't know. Last time that wasn't me, wasn't it? it was I know. Room. It was a certain uh, hero lady. My secret agent. Lady! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, she does eat the children. Yeah, she does. You know. You the villains know, what of it can all. you do? Well, Takes you know, a toll on your soul. I think we start with... Uh, the biggest bitch of them all, Gothel. She, from the very moment she showed up in this show, there was just this miasma around the actress playing her and the character. And Gothel was an incredibly interesting and I I would say multifaceted villain in the sense of I expected her past and her background to come from she was just nasty from the day she was born. So when we found out that her past came from the typical traditional, oh, she was innocent and Basically, her world was ravaged, was turned into something nightmarish. It, I, I was kind of sad. I kind of kind of hoped that there was like something monumental, like she was evil from the get-go, and there wasn't a happy background because she just came out of left field so nasty that 
it was interesting to see her transition from, you know, kind of nice little wood nymph to, as we were jokingly calling her, the, the druid Hitler. <laughs> um, <laughs> wanting to complete complete genocide of the human race just because of a couple of mean girls. So, besides her background, though, Gothel, her bitchiness and her cattiness and her ability to weave this web between all of the characters and turn the web into puppet strings throughout the entire season was really well done, and she was probably one of the better villains that we've seen on this series. I wish we would have gotten more magic from her than the occasional cataclysmic spell or... Uh, you know, some different aspects of her, because I really think that she could have been much more of a battle than just a couple of instances of light and then getting turned into a really poorly CGI tree. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But additionally from her, we kind of had a almost like Chernobyl effect of different villains and events that she put into place. So when a lot of things, she was kind of like an arborific dark one. Uh, You know, she had her roots everywhere in the Tremaines and in Henry's life and Regina's life. And there was history with various characters. You know, she ended up being the mother of Alice. So she was pun intended, the root of it all this season. And aside from her, we had Ivy and Victoria, two villains that did get a kind of redemption in the end, but I really feel like they were cheated. I feel that we didn't get to see them at their worst in villain, and I don't think we got to see them at their best in their redemptive, because the redemption was very quick. It was rushed under the rug, and in Victoria's case, she sacrificed herself after her ivy had this weird like walking the fence of being good or being bad am i still a bitch or am i nice now and then a reunion with her sister and it was very quick and quaint and wrapped up neatly and they took a hop on the uh, bus the interdimensional portway that i joke about and disappeared and never came back the rest of the season so we just assumed that they're happy somewhere the Victoria and Ivy as villains, I would have loved to have seen more. I would have loved to have seen more manipulation, more character building on the villain aspect, because it was just very quick, and I wish we'd had more seasons after this one to see that. Uh, Facilier, we still don't know if he was a villain or if he was a hero. He will probably never know at this point. The only thing that we can do is make assumptions that he did have an agenda, He did have no qualms about manipulating people to get what he wanted, but it looked like there was potentially a redemption arc coming for him had we had more seasons with him. So he was really kind of cheated out of all of them the most. I think that he had the biggest potential were there to be a season eight for an arc where we would have found the history between him and Regina and probably something similar to what Regina was going through, finding out that there was some reason he did what he did, maybe family or love or history. But instead, he just kind of got Julius Caesared, and Wishrumple took over. And on that note, I'll touch on Wishrumple, our juiciest rumple of all. Woo! Yes, thank you. He's kind of like the RuPaul of the Rumples. Very, very fabulous, very sparkly, very big in everything that he does. But I actually found him lacking in a little bit of his planning. Maybe we could attribute it to him never having had Bell, but I would have gathered that the Wishrumple would have been much more shrewdly calculating and hesitant to be within the same vicinity as a version of him that obviously wanted him dead or wanted him to not be around. I think that some of the decisions he made and the situations he put himself in leading up to his own death were not necessarily very very Rumplerific. I think that they could have been... 
he would have been more hesitant to make himself anywhere near these people that could potentially do something to him. And But then again, it could have been stupidity. I, I, w- I wish we could have had more time, I think, with him. We only caught the two episodes. He had very little time. The previous episodes of the season, he didn't have a lot of development. All we knew is what we were told his history was and the little interaction he had with Emma. So I think that he could have been a very, very interesting villain in his own season-long or half-season-long arc as opposed to a quick brush with death as the final villain of the various series. But that being said, what we got with him, I enjoyed. I would have wanted more, but I really think he was the best choice for the final villain of this season because he was the one that started it all, Rumpelstiltskin, and this set it up and allowed for our Rumpelstiltskin to be reunited to dance with his beautiful wife in a foggy backdrop and go into eternity together. So I'll leave it there. And now I have the image of Wish Rumple saying sachet away. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Your dark hearse was not dark enough. Sachet away. Okay, so I want to go through the villains. Um, we had six villains. I think that that was too many. Um, Vinny commented on the fact that Drizella and Tremaine definitely didn't get enough time to develop both as villains and as heroes well both as villains and redeemed heroes and i kind of find and i really agree with that i sometimes i do think to some extent maybe there should have just been one of them with the other as a as a nuanced but kind of more in a minor role character like if we had if we had more of if drizella was our main villain tremaine could have been like a background character kind of like a Korra in a sense for her, but only appearing like in a little bit and in the, like to show off in the back in like one of the flashback episodes, she kills her to show, yo, I'm fully evil. Like instead of killing that worthless prince in episode six, she kills her mom and shows, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not getting Anastasia back that badly. And she still, and that way she can still have the motivation of, I still want to get Anastasia, but for these purposes, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd be really, I'd be so sad that we'd be we'd be depriving ourselves of Gabrielle Anwar, but in terms of just interactions with the, with like the newer heroes and the older heroes, I feel like Drizella offered, offered more opportunities. We see, cause we have that sisterly relationship, not only with Anastasia, but with Ella, because you know, she was the wicked stepsister, but we never really got to see that all that much. We saw it a little bit in the present events of beauty, but again, it was a little lacking. So, again, I would have kept one or the other. Either would have been fine, but I think Drizella would have made a little more sense, especially because her redemption leads back to Henry. So that's kind of a villain that Henry gets to take down, in a sense, whereas all the other villains were taken down by other characters. Um, in the same way that, like, Pan was taken down by Rumple and sort of Regina. Zelina was taken down by Regina, back in se- and those were back in Season 3. Like, I kind of... Oh, I like when our main character gets to land the final blow on somebody, even if that final blow is, yo, you've got to turn around your life, and that villain actually listens. So, I think because of how Ivy's redemption comes about, or, like, how Henry, like, commute, like, gets to her, especially because that happens early enough in the season to properly develop it, it would have made the more sense to go with Ivy. Um, so, on to Gothel. I'm 
also with Vinny, where I think it would have made more sense for Gothel to just be evil straight out of the bang. We already know that works because Cruella was such was this adored villain, and she had nothing of a sympathetic backstory. Her sympathetic backstory was a world was like a, a 180 because they set it up, and then they were like, "No, boom, bam! I'm just a fucking bitch." Exactly. Yes. So why not go for that for Gothel when you already know that works? Just starting them off as a pure monster and. Because they did make her story sad, so while I do feel like they do show it as definite, her, what they did to her people was nowhere near as bad as what she did to them. They still did kill her. They still did kill her people, so you find it a little sad, and we'd probably find it sadder if there was actually a little bit of development. Or maybe just not actually visually shown Gothel's backstory and instead just communicated it through dialogue. But either of those would have worked. Either way, though, Gothel was an intense villain. She was, she was loud. She was, well, not loud. She was subtle, but proud. And she found a way of worming into everybody's story. She had ways of whispering and turning people against each other. And it was just magical and cool. And she had a really dark moment. Sometimes I think they made her a little too dark, but I went over that in the I went over that in our recap of Eloise Gardner, so I'm not going to do that again because there's another villain that I really want to talk about and that is Jack. I think he's also another villain that should have been cut. I know that um eventually when Jeff goes, he's going to defend on why Jack was a good villain and I'm going to kind of give my early version of why that is not the case. See, I Jenna? like villains that end up being is yeah. turning into a psychic or something? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm amazing. Well, finally, Jenna's making a bold prediction. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Not a big oh, one. Hey, you two so much. Weak sauce. <laughs> Anyways, so, um, there, the thing with, um, I know that, Jeff, in the past you've said your argument with Jack is that he's the twist villain and he comes out of nowhere. And for me, it's like, a twist villain can work, but he also has to be set up properly as a twist villain. And the most we ever had with Jack was a little bit of ominous music and then suddenly, and then, like, in episode 15 we get, like, these, we get, like, two or three teeny, 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 teeny hints. Thank the you. The only thing is... Jack was never established really as a character. He was never set up as somebody sympathetic. We never saw moments of animosity between him and any other and any of the witch characters. So it just felt so weird and so undeveloped. And also his and that would all be forgivable if his story arc actually like built to something interesting. But the only two things that come out of his story arc that are in any way meaningful are the results of the paternity test being held off for a while, which could have been done if somebody else was the serial killer. Oh, and, and, eh. And the second thing was the resolution of Zelina's character arc, which, again, I feel like could have been done in another meaningful way, maybe while taking out or making peace with, a, making peace with a villain on Zelina's part. Just something else, because I felt that because we get, like, no development with him, and all of a sudden, this mountain of sort of development because he because his relationship with other characters aren't really expanded on in a way that again is meaningful. It just made that whole arc feel like a waste of time. And when this is the final season, that's really frustrating to put up with, especially because the fact that he's killing witches, specifically witches in the Coven of Eight, ends up meaning nothing because Gothel's just able to get get all of them a couple of episodes later 
So I just found that inc- so I found Jack to be a bit of a frustrating waste of time villain and I would just rather have not had his inclusion at all, especially because he leads to not seeing enough of our next villain, Dr. Facilier. Also, like Jeff, I know you're going to say this, we really like Dr. Facilier. He was cool, he was charismatic, he established himself as soon as possible. And there was and there were so many story opportunities with him from his from not only his first episode, like his first scene is dripping with potential, dripping with character. And as I rewatch the series, I'm realizing just how talented the once writers can be at establishing the character so quickly. And what then when you set up a relationship with Regina and you're like the this villain with a redeemed hero, it's like Outlaw Queen times four with a with like a more neutered down rumple and there's just such, there's just something interesting, especially when all these swerves keep coming around. Is he a villain or is he a hero? Because the show actually like sets is a bit more not a bit more overt, but actually like gives some attention to the fact that he's doing things, he's interacting with characters in these ways that make us kind of question, okay, what's he gonna do next? What's he gonna do next? And suddenly, he's just killed off in the worst way, and it's the ultimate tragedy that we're never going to really see what could have come from that. Because I feel like wherever they were going, whether they were going to be like, whether he was going to be a redeemed hero, a full-on villain, a, have bo- have a bit of both, and make it kind of a tragedy or a, or like something happier, that. It was never delivered on. I plan to actually ask Lana how she thinks um, Regina and Facilier met at New Jersey Con. But yeah, I actually have planned that. I can't wait. You're on a first name basis. Yeah. Like Heather with Bobby. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love it. And obviously, finally, finally, I want to talk on Wish Rumple. Wish Rumple, when he was first shown as the final villain, I was... I was pretty receptive to it because I feel like this is a Rumple who has had all his goodness taken out of him. And we've never really had a chance to take on a Rumple without there being something where it's like, we can't kill him because of this. We can't kill him because Belle loves him. We can't kill him because he's the dark one and we don't kill. It's we just can't been... kill him because of plot protection. There you go. We can't kill him for all these reasons. And finally, we're not only the series finale, but there's this completely irredeemable Rumpel who has nothing to love to hold on to. So we can do whatever the fuck we want to do to him. And we have a redeemed Rumpel of our own who's less powerful. We have all the we have all these like parameters to fight him. And it's this epic bat this epic battle is set up. And the way he plans is interesting. He's always like ten steps ahead of everybody, much like much like Rumpel always has been. The way he takes advantage of Wish Henry is well it's cool. The way he tries to take on himself. The way he takes on himself, I love it. Um but I m- mentioned this in our recap of the series finale, but I feel like I wish we could have seen some of him actually winning. Seen what one of those book, what actually would have happened in one of those books, like visually, instead of just seeing a page. I would have liked to see somebody. What would it have been like? What would it be like for? What was it like when Blue fell into her book? Where is the misery, the loneliness, the fear? Because this is such a scary plan in hindsight. It's such a scary plan when you think about it. 
but because we can't visually see it in any way other than a really vague black and white portal, we don't get to feel the fear. There's terror there of his plan working out or not working out, but there's no... But that added, st- those added stakes, especially after Snow gives her hero speech like, we're never going to be fully separated from everybody, we'll escape from the books, it weakens, it kind of weakens the motivation. And to actually see that, to see somebody being clawed away from their hope and their optimism, that would have been really something special. So I think that that was, was Trumple's weakest, um, biggest weakness. Also the fact that he doesn't attack Rumple as Rumple is literally just taking his heart and going over to give it to Huck. But, anyway, so, this season, uh, to re- just to um, conclude, this season had villains. It had six villains. I wish that there, I wish that there was, there were less of them, so that there could have been more of an impact. Sometimes less is more. And they've already done a version of this right with season four, because four of the villains were already established, because a bunch of the villains were either established or on a team by the time that episode, by the time their arc aired. So there was a bit more going, there was a bit more comprehension, so we didn't have to introduce them, whereas in this season, we had to introduce villains, and we had to give them complex motivations and character interactions, and then either kill them off or redeem them. And it didn't work out, but... I still think that the villains were epic in themselves. I just kind of wish that they got the conclusions that they really did deserve. Well, Genepes. I'm going to refute everything you just said. No. Oh, I'm curious. I'm, cu- I'm curious. Go oh, yeah. I'm sorry. is excited, and I love how excited and exuberant she was in her passion for the villains. It's fantastic. But, surprisingly enough, I will be agreeing with some of the things that you said. Uh, so let's see, which order do I want to go with? Um, let me go in the order of the people that I don't really need to talk about as much. Let's start off with Gothel. Gothel was pretty much this season's Black Fairy, and I liked her for that. She was a villain that... Uh, just was villainous to kind of be villainous. I mean, sure, she did get kind of like a, uh, I don't even want to call it a tragic backstory, but, you know, she had her reasons as to why she was doing what she was doing, but she was a villain that was not going to be redeemed. And I like villains that are not going to be redeemed, just because I feel like on Once Upon a Time, because of the nature of the show, we do have a lot of redemptive arcs for villains. So I do find it refreshing when we just have a villain that's evil and we're not trying to make them nice and, and be friends with them and, and, and go to grannies with them at the end of the season. So so that was a, a major prop props for um, Gothel. The Tremaines. Uh, okay. I liked the Tremaines probably because of the actors than what they ended up doing with them in the writing. I thought the Tremaines were interesting because at the very start of the season, and Katie knows this because Katie is our spoiler diva, the Tremaines were billed as, like, the villains. Like, there were so many articles about, you know, Lady Tremaine and what she's doing and the gentrification of Hyperion Heights and this is her plan and whatnot. So it was heavily focused on Lady Tremaine in the beginning. And then all of a sudden we got the surprise that no, it's really Ivy. 
And then it was the surprise of, no, it's really Gothel. So the surprises with the villains, even though it was written in a way that um, really affected uh, some of the characters in the sense that we didn't really get a uh, full understanding of, um, or we didn't get the um, the potential that was there with the Tremaines didn't... Uh, get um, expressed in the series. It didn't really live out as well as it could have because of the consistent shifting and who is like really the main villain. Um, what am I trying to say? I feel like I'm going around in circles. I did like the fact that there were like the surprise villains. Like all of a sudden, this is the person that's really in charge or this is the person that's really the, the motivating factor. But because of that, it, it did kind of hinder the storyline of the other characters. Like Lady Tremaine, once it was shown that she was no longer in charge, her character was kind of neutered. You know, it was um, her character was diminished. And uh, that was a, a bit sad. But uh, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like, I did like that there was like the new villain and it was like the reveal of, oh my gosh, this person is in charge. But it took away from the character whose power was then taken away. And um, then, well, let's go with Jack slash um, Mr. Hansel. I didn't mind him because he was the twist, much like what Jenna Pace predicted. I thought he was fine for what he was. The little detour into like horror was interesting for the season and a bit refreshing. So I didn't mind him. I get that he came out of nowhere, TBH, but out of everybody that was left... Like, who was the candy killer going to be? The freaking desk sergeant or something? And you loved him, Jenna Pace. But... Yes, I... <laughs> no, I wish it was. Mostly because his actor was just such a cool dude. Well, yeah, like, but it, it's like... Yeah, no, he, as a character, he wasn't bad either. As like a minor yeah. character slowly developing. He's this season's grumpy. He was, even though we still don't really know. I feel like he was human, as in... No, definitely human. Yeah. But kind of like, I meant like had the same role as him in terms of just being this person who goes about his day and has, like, minor changes, who, like, makes minor changes to the plot and kind of speaks for just the general public. Yes, there you go. But, uh, yeah, it's like, who else could have been the candy killer besides him, like, that we've seen often, or at least that we've seen here and there, that would have been a surprise. So I didn't mind Nick living out his arc and uh, killing uh, some of these witches and whatnot, even though at the end of the day, Gothel did collect uh, sort of like a new group of witches and blah, blah, blah. I I thought the arc was fine for what it was. Now, in hindsight, seeing as this was the final season, I do agree with Jenna. I wish that they would have used that time to talk about our next person, Dr. Facilier. I do see him as a villain that was going to get his redemptive arc. I feel like it was slowly starting, and then all of a sudden, because we were rushing to the final two episodes, they they just were like, either we're going to go with him and kind of um, force a relationship so that Regina has somebody at the end, 
or we just have to cut him off now and uh, not include him at all. If you really think about it, those final two episodes, we didn't really even see it much of Jacinda and Lucy, and they were kind of part of like the main cast throughout the entire season. So a lot of characters were sort of like left on the sidelines for the final two-hour extravaganza. And I feel like if they wouldn't have killed uh, Facilier, he kind of would have been left on the sidelines as well, much like Tiana and Naveen and Jacinda, or I should say Ella and Lucy. Um, I was... Very disappointed at the end of the season with what they did with the character. I wish that they w- that we would have seen more with him. But uh, Daniel Francis's performance as Facilier was just so wonderful that uh, you know at least we got the chance to see him mix it up with our people because uh, he had great chemistry with everybody. And Wish Rumple. So I wasn't that excited when we saw him. I mean, he did kill Facilier when we were reintroduced to him. But I wasn't sure where what they were going to do with him. But it does make sense that at the end of it all, we did need some sort of battle, final battle, with Rumpelstiltskin. And he was probably the best choice. Although, I do wish that we would have seen him do some more nefarious things besides uh, trapping Blue. Kind of like what Jenna said, you know, actually seeing what he was doing. We saw him sort of like, you know, do using the force to choke people and that kind of stuff, but we didn't really see him um, really kill anybody. So, Well, Facilier. But besides Facilier, I guess Facilier was used to sort of like be the death to quote-unquote raise the stakes to show that Wish Rumple was willing to do anything by that random kill. But I wish that we would have seen a little bit more of it, although I don't know who he would have killed um, because it would probably would have affected like our people. But it would have been nice to have seen him mix it up a little bit more and show us that he really is the big bad villain that he is supposed to be. So... Uh, other than that, uh, it was nice to see him back, though, and uh, we did get sort of like the Rumple versus Rumple, or our people versus a Rumple, which was great to see, obviously, because our Rumple had grown so much, we weren't going to see him all of a sudden become a villain again. We wanted to see him with his redemption and reuniting with Belle, so they did. Uh, they actually ended up making a good choice with Wish Rumple being the final villain, the big boss at the end of it all. Yeah, I I agree on your um, thoughts on Rumple or the the Wish version of Rumple. I really like that they brought him back ultimately because I've always felt he was extra juicy. Woo. Yeah, woo! I've always woo. felt. <laughs> <laughs> throughout all of the seasons that Rumple I've always felt that they've had to like the final battle was always going to include Rumple somehow the last villain that we were going to defeat was always going to be Rumple and I kind of like how they did it because we got to have this dark version of Rumple, And we also got to have another version of Rumple that ultimately did sacrifice himself and, um, and made the right choice and went to a happy place. 
Um, because I, I know when we were talking about, about Rumpel way back in some of the first seasons of our, of our podcast, um, we always talked about how, you know, we're sick of Rumpel flip-flopping, you know, either in the end he's going to make a big sacrifice or he's just going to go full out evil. And I guess we kind of got both of that. We've got both yeah. of them. <laughs> the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, We've also I always do... said that his redemption was to die. TBH. Yeah. So. And we predicted that. Yeah. <laughs> many seasons ago. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I do wish that we had seen, uh, like, he had popped up sooner or something, because I feel like it just came out of left field, and we were like, I was kind of reeling from that, and it took me a little bit to get used to it. But. I did like it. I like that they brought it back um, because that's always been one of my theories for the very end on the villain that they would have to defeat. Um, so I did like that they did that. Um, I do agree. I think Facilier, in my opinion, was one of the most wasted villains um, ever. <laughs> I, I loved his acting. I don't disagree, but I just... Yeah. I feel bad saying wasted because I really like the actor. Like I thought he did, did he did exactly. a great job with what he was given, and unfortunately, exactly. it, it could have been so much greater. He was one of the casualties of a rush to the end. Unfortunately, he was a character we wish we would have seen more of. Oh, I see what you did there, Jenna Pace, <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> Yeah, because wow. if you really think about it, he was only seen once in the first half of the season. Like, had they, like, tried to use him a little bit more then, mm-hmm. even if it's just reintroducing him that he's in Hyperion Heights, I feel like the setup for him in the second half would have been a little bit better. And obviously... If you do chop out the Candy Killer storyline, mm-hmm. there is much more time for them to develop him and at least show us, or at least maybe not even show us, but like expositionally, you know, have them discuss what happened mm-hmm. and why they have this connection. Yeah, exactly. Exa- I do agree with that. I feel like they just completely, like you said, I hate using the word wasted, but I just, they wasted. His character. I feel like it was so rushed at the end. His death was so sudden. It was just like, oh, he's dead. Like, I thought they were going somewhere with his character and they just, like, killed him. It was it was so bizarre. I don't know. It was weird. I really... I liked the actor who played him was so good. And that's what made me upset because... They just had so many villains this season that you couldn't take the right amount of time to focus on one. You couldn't really flesh out one because you have too many that you have to to work with and try to develop. And it just and then, you know, of course, the, it's announced that it's a series finale. So they've got to work towards that and try to um, answer all the questions that they can from the previous seasons. They have to go a completely different route. And so that kind of screwed up a bunch of stuff. And I do feel like that really, really hampered what we could have seen from Facilier, in my opinion. I feel like he was definitely a victim of, um, his character was a victim of the show getting canceled. So, not suddenly, because we all knew it was coming, but I just, it was, it was not, it was bad writing, in my opinion. I feel bad saying that, but I feel like 
they just should have focused on him more towards the beginning of the show or something just to flesh it out. And they always hyped up. I mean, maybe they weren't hyping it up, but I felt like they were hyping it up a little bit. His relationship with Regina. Like, they were made it sound like she was going to have a new true love and great things were going to happen. And we got hardly anything. We got no answers. We got one little scene that gave us some backstory. And... That was it. And it left us with way more questions than anything. And it was just, ugh. His was the most upsetting to me because I really, really wanted to like it and have it go somewhere. But it was, it just didn't. Um, besides for that, you guys really covered mostly everything. But I will say that I really, I really did, I wanted to enjoy Gothel. I feel like her character was good up until we found out her backstory. Like, I got really annoyed when we found out her backstory. It just happened. I don't know. I, re- I Like Vinny was saying, I really wanted her to just be evil for evil's sake. Because all of the villains on the show have always had some tragic backstory, you know, except for, like, Cruella. And I think that's why we like Cruella so much is because she just came on the show and was just like, I just want to be evil because I can. You know, I don't have a tragic backstory. I just want to be evil because it's fun. And I really wanted that out of Gothel because I felt like we could have worked towards that and it would have been great. But then we had to get some tragic backstory and it was just kind of like a weird one. I don't know. I was kind of upset by it. But I, I do think that the actress did do a good job at portraying her because I felt like she was really creepy <laughs> and strange. Um... So I did like her. I just wish that she had had a different ending to her character. It just bothered me a little bit. Um, I really, I actually really liked Lady Tremaine and Ivy. I would say I enjoyed Drizella more than Lady Tremaine. I felt like her character was very compelling. And I liked how they ended it. They gave her a redemptive arc, sort of. And I liked it. I wish we had seen more of her. Um, she was the actress was amazing. She did a really good job with her. Um, so I feel like she was one of my favorite villains on this season, um, if, you, if you can call her that. Um, Lady Tremaine was also good. I feel like I feel like she also didn't didn't get that much. T- they didn't delve into her character that much. Um, but we did get to see see some good scenes of her being evil. Um, but yeah, I really feel like this season was just oversaturated with villains, and that was our issue. But we did have some good ones, um, and they were enjoyable, but I felt like a lot of them I was just very underwhelmed at the end of their arcs because we just didn't, we didn't, it didn't, their arcs didn't conclude with satisfaction for us we didn't get to see things play out we didn't get enough backstory i think that was the main thing um there's just too many villains so that's just i guess that's my opinion to wrap up my thoughts is that there were just too many villains and i wish we had picked just a couple and really focused on them or just given them more backstory and it would have been better um, so there's not much I can say on the villains without reiterating what all of you have said already. Um, but I would 
I would say that um, breaking it apart into the two season halves, um, prior to the uh, series, the mid-season finale, I really enjoyed um, the dynamic that kind of came from Gothel, Ivy, and Tremaine to where the point where we started this season and we thought, everybody kind of thought it was going to be um, a redo of season one where you have an evil queen, an evil villainess who is lording over this town of unsuspecting citizens. And I really enjoyed the fact that that's not at all what it was, that in fact it was Lady Tremaine who thought that she was in charge, but actually it was Ivy, and then it was Ivy who actually thought she was in charge, but in reality it was Gothel's plan the whole time. And I feel like the this, the first season half's villains were handled so, so well, um, to the point of they were well-developed, you really felt a complexity behind um, Belfry and Ivy and the relationship that was going on between them. Um, and I really, really enjoyed jumping into that relationship and that da- dynamics between it because it felt very much like a Cora-Regina relationship um, to an entirely different level. So that was, uh, that was very intriguing as well. Um, but on the second half is I really is where I feel like they really kind of lost a lot of their their steam with the with the villain with the roles of the villains in this season, um, and the reasoning behind that is because the season got cut uh, or the show got cut. So all that we had to do was thrown into this little uh, what twelve episode span that they had to wrap up extremely fast. So while I enjoyed the resolution to Ivy's character, I do wish we had seen more of her. Um, as far as Tremaine goes, she was an interesting character, um, and if we had seen more of her, that would have been great, but I'm okay with her death as, as is. I like that that's a character that we're never going to get resolution for. It's just over and done with. Um, Gothel was definitely, um, she, she definitely lost a lot when we got her, or her backstory, at least in my opinion, but I enjoyed the fact that when they brought in the candy killer, when they brought in Nick, that we were all kind of sitting back guessing, okay, well, who is it that's woke him up or woken him up? Who is it that's lording over Nick? Is it Vasilier? Is it Gothel? Is it somebody else? Is it Nick himself? So I, while I do feel like the Candy Killer was something that could have been taken out and we could have focused on some of the bigger villains like Vasilier or Gothel, I actually really enjoyed that, and I agree with pretty much everything that Jeff said on that topic because that was a character that was well played that was well woven in and that actually had a very satisfying backstory um even if he didn't get killed and it was frustrating in the way that it was handled i thought there was a very interesting way to kind of layer everything in the second season half um i definitely wish we would have seen more of vasilier and i i 100 believe that it had we got in a season eight. That was a character that they were really setting up for being a, se- uh, a season eight villain uh, or a bigger character because he had so much charisma, so much going for him, uh, and so much backstory that we didn't find out that w- could have been explored in a uh, later season. Um, and lastly, uh, I can't say anything more on Wish Rumple really, except that um, when he first was introduced on the the where were they the episode where they broke the curse and all of that that I really did not like that I was really hesitant about it because I was like I would much rather see Vasilier in the last two episodes be a big villain or even see have seen Gothel as a bigger villain in the last two uh, episodes but Wishrumple actually came out of nowhere and surprised me because 
by the end of this by the end of the season i really did actually enjoy that character i enjoyed exploring that darker side to rumpelstiltskin and and it being a character that has no reservations about being good he has no uh, limitations to what he's willing to do um, I definitely wish we could have seen more about that, but with it being the crunch time that they had, I think that they did handle that fairly well, and it ended the season and the series itself in a satisfying enough way to where I really enjoyed the villains of the season, even if I did feel like they got a little short and they got they kind of got the short end of the stick at times. Now we're going to move into the actual locations that we saw in this season. Obviously, Hyperion Heights being the focus of the season. That's the location in which our characters were sent, much like Storybrooke. So let's talk about Hyperion Heights. Let's talk about the Enchanted Forest 2.0, which we lovingly called the Magical Forest. If you want to throw in... uh, um, Wonderland 2.0 and that kind of stuff as well, or even the Wish Realm, you can. But I want to talk about the locations this season and what you thought of them. Let's start off with Jenna Pace. Okay, great. So I actually really do want to talk about both Wonderland and the Wish Realm, but I'm going to talk about Hyperion Heights and the Enchanted Forest 2.0, i.e. the Magical Forest first. Um, So let's get started with Hyperion Heights. It's really interesting that they created just this brand new town. And they actually managed to get a couple of really good locations there. Um, I swear the sound of the Belfry elevator still plays in my mind. And it's going to be one of those iconic storybrook sounds along the same lines of the dun, 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 dun from the opening. I love that. Less so, but still like there with that bing. It just. It's oh, cool. it was like I was in the elevator right now. Yeah, it's just because uh, whenever you heard that sound, something cool was going to happen. Um, I like all the different locations we in Hyperion Heights. There's this island that's alluded to, and it's kind of like a subject of Jacinda and Lucy and Henry's fantasies and how and just like a better life that they can wish for that kind of goes within the realm of kind of goes within the realm of their fantasy Something that they can strive for in Hyperion Heights. Um, in addition, we get the Rolling Bayou, this cool food truck that's introduced, and it actually kind of be- develops as a setting as the ser- as the uh, season goes on. And also along those lines is Ronnie's, which is just this really cool place to hang out. It's like a hipper, jiver granny's. There's all these comfy couches to sit in. There's this nice bar. There's all these cool lights and new drinks that are coming out. There's always something to see in Ronnie's. And there's even like a deeper backstory that has to do with Ronnie and Kelly. And I just love being there. Um, we... Um, we get uh, Tilly's shipping container, <laughs> and it plays to the tragedy of like Tilly, just how alone Tilly is. It develops with her as a character, something later that she doesn't need because she moves in with Rogers. It's just, yeah, it's just a nice setting. The police station, that like had to win me over, because when we first saw it, I thought, this is such a boring setting. I thought the police sign looked just the police sign just looks stupid and it hasn't improved, but the station itself has grown more levels, as you see Rogers and Weaver sitting down there more often, other characters coming in and out, us getting to see the evidence locker, the room where the suspects are interrogated. 
that just grows on me as a setting. So it's nice. It surprisingly gets more layers in its one season than the sheriff's office ever did in six. So cool. I think that's everything I want to touch upon there. Um, oh, except for Sandy's office, which is just cool. It's just nice, and I love it. It it looks like a place where a fancy rich guy would live. It. I love the waterfall. Um. Now on to the Enchanted Forest 2.0, because they really strive to make this more than just a copy of the Enchanted Forest. They worked on, they worked on ma- making all these new locations. The um, Cinderella, uh, the castle where Cinderella's ball is, the Resistance camp, um, Alice's little house, um, Rumpel's cave, and they all managed to make things look. They just managed to make things look cool and different. Um, no, that's... Actually, you know what? It's in, I was just thinking of a location in the Wish Realm, so I'm just going to talk about the Wish Realm, re- Wish Realm now, because this setting got development from previous seasons. In Season 6, it's just this idyllic place where all the villains are gone, the heroes can thrive and be happy and live their best lives. And after the events of Season 6, it changes. We don't really notice it at first, but it changes. And it becomes more and more, as the season goes on, bastardized. We see that this is a place where people lose. This is a place where tragedy where tragedy prevails. Especially when we see more of Wish Rumpel and see Wish Henry. And just see how much their lives got fucked over because of, because of the curse never being cast. It's a sad place. As Henry says... Stories here are written in blood and tears, and while we're in the Wish Realm for the finale, and even in um, even in early parts of episodes, even um, early parts of Eloise Gardner, we see it, and it's just such, it's just in this tragic state. You can kind of feel everybody's lives have fallen apart, and they're just kind of doing what they can to, to get by. Um, there's this one cool location in the Wish Realm. It's um, cap um. It's this place in that's shown most prominently in Eloise Gardner, this like little town spot where the crew of the Jolly Rogers just settling down for a few days while they figure out the next course of action. Regina finds them. It's just like this great section with all these tables and chairs. It's the town square. You never know who you're gonna run into. It feels like it's just very homey, and I'm glad we got to see that setting a little bit more because it was just nice, even if it was only for an episode or two. And the final thing that I want to touch upon is Wonderland 2.0. Wonderland 1.0, visually, it wasn't all that compelling, mostly because the fact that it was very, that it was CG was so obvious. It kind of looked, it just looked, not gross, but you really, it took you out of the experience of watching the TV show, kind of made it a bit more of a mockery. And then I, and then... In, in this new version, it's so real. You see the leaves. You feel it's tangible. So when the characters are going through it, and they're sitting at tables, and they're talking to people, and they're going through all these scary mazes, you really feel like you're there. You feel more into the set and more invested. It's not, the setting isn't distracting from the story. And I think that that's, I think that that's important to, that that's important to creating this, compelling setting and that helps develop everything else around it sometimes you don't really think that a good setting 
means anything to a story. It, it can happen sometimes, but with Wonderland 2.0, it kind of made me rethink that stance for a while. So generally, this season, I really like the settings. I think that they gave us, in the short time span that they had, some of the most compelling and solid places that we've had in the series. And I'm happy that we got to see them. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I, you know, when we first found out that we were, the show was completely changing and we were going to move to a completely different setting pretty much across the country um, from, from Maine, Storybrook, Maine, all the way to Seattle in uh, Washington. Um, you know, I was a little nervous because... Katie knows her geography. I know. I'm just, just saying, guys. I'm letting you know that I passed geography. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, it was a little ner- nerve-wracking because we had grown so used to Storybrooke um, throughout the, the entire six seasons. That's a lot of time to spend in, like, pretty much one location. You know, we hopped around a little bit, but not too much. And to say goodbye to the town and go do something that's way more urban um, we went from a kind of like a seaside um, town to to something that was way more urban, completely different. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I really did like it. It was a completely different setting, a different pace for the season, and it set the pace. Um, I ended up really liking Ronnie's bar. Um, that was like the new Granny's Diner, and and I like thinking of this in comparison to Storybrooke. Storybrooke, you have Granny's Diner. That's a place where everyone gathers. It's the center of a lot of important things that happen in the seasons. Um, It's like this idyllic, small town diner. And then we move to the city and the hangout place is Ronnie's Bar. Um, A little bit more gruff. But I ended up really liking it. It was a really fun place. Um, I like I like what they did with it. Um, I liked the community garden as well. That was kind of something that was different. Whereas in Storybrooke, we had the like the wishing well, um, and the Storybrooke Park. We had we had the community garden, which we got to see a couple times, not very often, but some important things did happen there um, throughout the season. Um, and I, I liked Henry's apartment as well. It was, uh, it's very eclectic, the different things that he has in there. Um, it was fun. It was very reminiscent of um, what an adult Henry might have in his apartment. Um, I liked that a lot. Um, so, Hyperion Heights really did open up completely different things for us than we had in Storybrooke. Um, And I like how when the season first started out, Hyperion Heights was just like this city that um, seemed really hopeless and um, bleak and not, not like a place you'd really want to live. And then as the season went on and more hope got into the picture and things started to change it started to become um you became more used to it and it became a place where um you can definitely see these characters living um so i liked that um i really i really liked that we got to explore the wish realm more that was something that came 
out of season six, and we got to explore it very briefly in season six. Um, not only does it come with a whole new set of backstories for characters or things that happen after um, things that happen after the the uh, curse that the the, the original curse. Um, we got whole new sets of backstories. Um, so different things are going on. Like we got to see the Wish Realm Hook lives in this grotto. Um, and it's not really, you know, the greatest place. Um, it's Rumpel's castle is all um, broken down. Uh, it's just very interesting. I like that we got to explore it a little bit more. And that they brought it up. Um is a realm that we briefly got to see in season six and they still brought it back for season seven so we could explore it more so i liked that a lot and i really liked the magical forest um there's six seasons in the previous six seasons we really got to explore um the fairy the original fairy tale realm and i like how this one's different this one's different um it's got different stories different um it's got the same characters, but they're different people. Um, so it's it's very it's very interesting to see and compare it to the original um, fairy tale fairy tale realm that we're used to. Um, I loved the resistance camp. I thought that that was really cool. I liked that idea of the resistance. Um, and just briefly mentioning the resistance, I wish we did get to see more of that. But I liked how they had their own camp. Um, I liked um, seeing Henry and Jacinda um, meeting at that castle. Um, meeting when they when he was going through the woods on his motorcycle, um, bringing the modern world to the fairy tale world. That was kind of cool. That was. A foreshadowing, I guess you could say, to what happens at the very end of the season when we combine the realms. Um, so that I'll just touch on briefly, too, just to end my thoughts. But I really like that they brought all the realms together. It, it's, it, pre- it presents a lot of interesting possibilities for people who are traveling in this uh, new realm. You know, you can go from Storybrook to Arendelle in the same day, which is very interesting, without use of a magical bean to get you there or a portal to get you there. So um, it's very interesting. I liked how they did that. And we had always said throughout the podcast that somehow, at the end, Storybrook is going to get brought to the enchanted forest and um we weren't wrong they brought everything together and created their own new realm so that was kind of cool i like how they did that i like how they brought some of our favorite places and made them into one place so so that's that was cool i really did like the locations for as nervous as i was going into the season losing some of our favorite locations i think that they did a really good job with what they were given and i really did enjoy it a lot so I really enjoyed just a couple of places that I want to touch upon from Hyperion Heights and uh, a couple from uh, the Magical Forest. Uh, the first one that I, I loved was the troll under the bridge. Um, number one, because it, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong because I don't live in Seattle, um, but that's a real troll, right? That's like the Fremont troll or something like that that they um, incorporated into the show. 
Um, and I think that's awesome because, number one, it's attention to the real world. That's kind of bringing the real world into the story. But then also it's giving a story to a troll under a bridge, which is very, very quintessential once upon a time season one. Back when, you know, we had the troll bridge in season one where Mary Margaret and Charming used to meet or Mary Margaret and David Nolan used to meet. So I really liked that tie in with season one with the real world and the fact that it tied into Alice's character so well. So that was a, a very interesting piece that they incorporated into Hyperion Heights. Um, I also really loved Ronnie's for all of the obvious reasons. Number one, that it's kind of become the new grannies. And because of the vibe that you have, I, I enjoyed the fact that um, overall Hyperion Heights was this edgier, more urban area that still somehow managed to keep that kind of small town community feeling within it. Like even though it was, a, it was supposed to be a, a couple of city blocks, it still felt like something akin to what Storybrooke is. So that, that was really, really um, cool to have how they were able to do that in this season. I loved um, Rumpelstiltskin's evidence room. Uh, I love the fact that they can't seem to write that character without some kind of collection of things around him. Uh, I especially enjoyed that room because of all of the different cameos that we got through it. Like we got to see the puppet, Selena's necklace was in there. Just a lot of little um, callbacks to other episodes that were just visually present. Um, I love Tilly's boxcar as well for uh, similar reasons, but uh, just because it was a more edgier version of that, I guess. The one thing that I, I did not like about uh, Hyperion Heights, and we talked about this a little bit um, when it premiered in the episode, was the Seattle Underground or the tunnels that ran under Hyperion Heights. Um, and I'm sorry to bring it back up, but we can't talk about the locations without talking about that one because that one uh, really, really bothered me because of the blatant callback to season one's uh, still small voice, that still small voice episode. Um, so I did want to mention that one more time just because it did annoy me in the episode that we saw it in. Um, but overall, I really loved Hyperion Heights. I thought that if they were going to move from Storybrooke to anywhere, they did a really fantastic job of showcasing a new area for characters that are familiar to us and unfamiliar to us as well. Uh, the only place I wanted to talk about in the, uh, the Magical Forest was the room, and I need you guys' help because I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was the room where Zelina and saved Robin from Gothel and Laota back in uh, the Secret Garden episode. It was some, It's the uh, Haunted Mansion oh, place. It was like the Botanical Garden? No, no, it was the... the no, it's the, the Madame Leota the, shop. Yes. Yeah. The something, I can't remember what it was called. But I really loved that shop. Um, to the point where it's it was still like the in Curios my mind today. And, no, it was, um... Something it, Mori? Yeah, Memento, Memento, Memento Mori. Memento Mori. Boom! That's what it was called. That was awesome. I love that they brought in a part from a ride that they have in Disney World and put it into the show. That was fantastic. And I loved, because um, I just went back and rewatched a couple of episodes from Season 7 um, last last week. Um, and whenever I was going back and just kind of skimming through, I, that was one of the things that I stopped on and rewatched. Uh, that was such an awesome little room. There were so many little knickknacks, and there were just little teeny tiny pieces that they had placed on that set that had been on sets at other points during the season. So just little tiny little knickknacks that they had put in for people who were really paying attention and I thought that was so, so cool. Um, also, sorry, this one has just popped in my head right then and there, and I, I have to mention it. 
back in Hyperion Heights, Flynn's Bar. That was awesome. I loved the Tron tie-in on that, uh, the Barcade. That was such a cool setting, and it was, you know, it was just there for a few brief moments, but I really enjoyed those scenes that they did in there, and the fact that they brought back in the Tron references that they threw at us all the time, you know, seasons one through six. So I really enjoyed the season settings, um, Hyperion Heights and the Magical Forest, but um, those are all the ones that I really wanted to touch upon. Well, you've all touched upon several great uh, set pieces and locations. I don't know if I have much to add, so I will echo some of my faves uh, briefly. Uh, but I will start off by saying in general, for it being Season 7, and for them deciding to change locations, Hyperion Heights, and a brand new Enchanted Forest, I feel like whoever like ends up choosing the locations and whatnot did a really great job in picking very different locations you know areas of the forest that we've never seen before that they were able to uh, make it seem as if it is a brand new realm uh, i like what they did uh, in that regard because uh at least in the Enchanted Forest and in, um, like, Wonderland, there were definitely different set pieces, and it didn't look like the Wonderland we've seen in the past or the Enchanted Forest that we've seen um, throughout, you know, seasons one through six. Now, as far as particular locations, I will shout out the greenhouse that uh, Jenna mentioned uh, briefly a couple moments ago. I love what they did there, and, and I liked what they did with the, like, the mixing of the CGI with, um, you know, just uh, uh, props and that kind of stuff. I thought they did a, a really good job this season in, uh, like... Uh, blending in the CGI with the props a little bit. It didn't look as uh, CGI as it has in the past. I loved the mansion that we saw in the Gothel storyline, just because we had never seen that place before. Like they, they did a really great job scouting a unique enough location that it, it made it seem like it could have been a magical place when in reality it, it turned out to be our realm, which I thought was pretty brilliant. And um, the Enchanted Forest 2.0, as we called uh, the Magical Forest, I thought it was beautiful. I loved what they did with um, the Resistance Camp. I thought that was a really cool setup. I loved Tiana's Palace. I thought that was really nice. Anything dealing with the Tremaines was really cool as well. A unique type of set and a unique type of CGI to make it look like its own distinct place. Uh, I liked that a lot. And... Um, the Wish Realm was cool. I mean, obviously just darker and twistier versions of things that we've seen in the past. New Wonderland was nice as well. It was its own unique type of location, very different from the Wonderland that we've seen in the past. Um, which, you know, I, I get the Wonderland CGI aesthetic wasn't everybody's favorite. We discussed it a lot as well. But uh, they seem to like figure out the right blend of like what should be cgi what should be a prop what should be real forest i, I like what they did with wonderland in uh, this season 
And uh, since Katie mentioned it, and I didn't really even think of talking about it, I loved uh, the combination of realms. I thought visually it was stunning. Uh, all that was CGI, obviously, but the CGI worked really well in that tour of all of the realms, and uh, they all just fit in perfectly with each other. Yeah, I think I'm not going to really add too much as far as all of the favorites and the good place. I think everyone kind of covered most of it. But I think my biggest thing that I felt this season was Hyperion Heights was a nice change of scenery. But I think we had so many places that it really was hard to have some of them be a good focus. Like Ronnie was, it to me, I, I love Ronnie's and I loved how it was used. But I never got the attachment that I had with a place like Granny's because it just, I think it's a confluence of storms. We had so many characters. We had so many different locations. In some cases, we didn't even address the fact that like people were traveling from like uptown to downtown in Seattle and it's not as fast as it made it look. Uh, So we had all these like multiple hits of places and days. And I don't know. I I think my favorite location that I saw would have to be Ronnie's, but at the same time, it was kind of like the fairy tale version of cheers. And I think that's why I did like it, but it never really resonated with me to the level. And I don't think there was anywhere this season that did because as a couple of you pointed out, there were areas that kind of felt like a weird attempt at a parallel to areas back in storybook with Ronnie's obviously being Granny's and the underground referencing Maleficent's cave. And so I, there were so many weird parallels that as we've spent six seasons with other places and other locations, you know, building a relationship with, I never connected with anything this season like I did with the past season. So I always kind of had this weird feeling of like being in someone else's house where I'm wanted, but I'm not supposed to touch anything, and I, I don't. I don't know. It's kind of a weird feeling that I can't describe. Like I didn't hate it, but I never made the connection with these places that I made with like the original Enchanted Forest, and it. It just really. I, I, I talked about how like I felt this season stumbled in a lot of ways. I think Hyperion Heights was a really good choice, but I think it was so busy, and we had so many. We had Facilies, we had the Belfry Towers, we had this apartment, that apartment, this other apartment, this storage container. There were so many different places. It was just like there were so many villains, there were so many heroes, there were so many cursed people. I think this is another instance that where people were around in different places so much, it was really hard to get a solid feeling from me for any of them because I didn't feel like I spent enough time in any of them to really get attached. Uh, Also, to throw out being the Russian judge... I didn't really see a difference between the two forests. And that's one of the things that I've kind of... Same thing with the Wish Realm. Like, I know the Wish Realm was a reproduction, so that kind of made sense that it wasn't different. But the new Enchanted Forest, for characters that were in such different circumstances and that looked so different, the, the only thing that felt different was the construction of some of the places. But I never really felt that I was in a different realm. And that is kind of how I talked about how like, places didn't resonate with me. The new Enchanted Forest or the Magical Forest, there were times this season that I got confused as to what decade and what realm we were in <laughs> because they'd stopped you know, telling us in some cases like which realm we were in. And so when you don't have that little pop-up telling you, the only indication that you know you're in the 
magical for us is because we're at the resistance camp or it's Jacinda or it's, you know, Tremaine, one of those characters. But then when they started interacting with other characters and the only thing that you could use to gauge what realm you were in was those characters as opposed to the realm itself. And I feel like the realm should have had some kind of calling card you know like in oz you knew you were in oz because there was the trans not transparent but is a translucent i think or the glow of the emerald city like in Mm -hmm. the episode where zelina was we had that glow of the green and then in this i would have liked to have some kind of subtle hint in the air or something that we were in a different place so that's kind of just a really quick because I don't want to spend much more time on it, but I I think it was very busy, too many different places, and I often found myself confused because a lot of the places looked alike. Before we move away from the locations, I want to give three shout-outs that I completely forgot about that I'm just remembering. Number one is that Candy Witch's house that they actually built. It was a set, a real-life set of the exterior. Oh, at yeah. Least. That oh, yeah. was beautiful. And uh, I will also give a shout-out to uh, Facilier's um, shack or whatever it was in the Magical Forest. I thought that location was really nice, as well as... Because I think it was different. Yeah, um, it was different in the yeah, Guardian. Yeah, the first one that we saw with Tiana was different than the one that we saw with Alice. So both locations were really nice. And um, and just to co-sign with what Jenna said, uh, Sam D's location. It was very facilier, even though it, it was um, it was very Sam D. What you would expect facilier's uh, cursed persona as layer to look like I liked it. So now we're going to move into a section that I'm calling redemptive arcs. Now, obviously we've gone through a lot of these characters already in discussing heroes and villains. And I know that a couple of you sort of referenced the uh, redemptive arcs already. So this section is focusing specifically on them. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe these are all the characters that achieved uh, a redemptive arc, whether you approve of it or not, this season. Uh, Regina, uh, a bit more redemption. Rumple, Zelina, Lady Tremaine, and uh, Drizella. So, I think those are it. Uh, if, if there are any other ones, if you want to give them a shout-out, you may. Um, I'm including Regina just because I feel like this is the, the full coming circle Coming, coming circle. What the hell am I trying to say? Um, coming full circle. <laughs> there you go. Coming circle sounded much more dirty than I anticipated. Um, you feel, you feel it like a dagger. Oh, oh. <laughs> Jenna, it's a callback. I blew up the ship to take down the captain. I am the captain now. Um, Okay, so we're coming full circle with Regina in her storyline, so that's why I'm including her in this list. And uh, I will start off, and uh, I will uh, start off actually in a surprising way. I'm going to start off with Zelina. So Zelina has been a favorite of mine since the beginning, and I'm so glad that she finally got a redemptive arc. Like, you could say... If you stopped watching Once Upon a Time last season, season 6, with that season finale, a lot of these characters did get redemptive arcs, but they were rushed. Because they were rushing to the end, because they had 
or they realized that they were only going to have these actors for a certain amount of time, they weren't going to be coming back in this brand new remixed season that they were doing, so they had to just completely rush redemptive arcs for a lot of our favorite characters that uh, you know we had seen throughout the seasons, Rumble included. And Zelina had a rushed redemptive arc. Like, her redemptive arc was an incredible slow burn. And at one point, I thought she kind of had it, but then it turns out Regina still had her issues with her, and this, that, or the other. But by the end of Season 6, it looked like, you know, that rushed redemptive arc was going to be it for Zelina. Then all of a sudden, we learned that Rebecca Mater would be returning for more with Zelina in Season 7. And I'm glad that they took the time to give her redemption like obviously she had already been embraced as a quote-unquote hero or with the heroes so she was on the side of good but she still had to uh, atone for her past and i thought they did a really great job of that in uh, her solo flashback episode this season i was very happy that they decided to to do that for her Mirroring what they did with Zelina, Rumpel finally achieved his redemption this season. From the start of the season to the end, sure, he had a couple of hiccups, and he did annoy the crap out of me when he was hiccuping, but, I mean, looking back at Regina in Season 2, and Season 3, probably Season 4, like, she was hiccuping along her her way as well to her redemption and, and so if i can forgive regina for her hiccups i will forgive Rump rumpel as well in this season at least uh, because you could tell that he was trying his hardest to be good and for him to get that line at the end you know it's like you don't do the good uh for the reward you do it because it's good like i'm like yes rumpel you finally get it so I was really happy that they they gave Rumpel a, a very appropriate um, redemptive arc. Tremaine and Drizella, uh, I think we all agree with uh, the fact that we wish that we would have seen them a little bit more, that their redemptive arc wasn't sort of rushed in one episode. Like, they got the treatment that Zelina and Rumpel got at the end of last season. It was a rushed redemption, unfortunately, I guess, for time or maybe contracts and that kind of thing. We don't know, uh, you know, for how many episodes uh, the actors signed up at the start of the season. So maybe it was part of that or, uh, you know, just the, the, the fact that maybe the writers wanted to shift the narrative a little bit and, and uh, turn the story upside down. But unfortunately, they both got uh, rushed redemptions, although Drizella had a little bit more time because, uh, well, Tremaine died first, and then Drizella was still around for a couple more episodes, but still, they both were a bit rushed, and uh, I, I wish that we would have seen a little bit more with them, just because if you have someone like Gabrielle Anwar, and, uh, I mean, obviously she was killing it as uh, Tremaine, Victoria, Virginia, that uh, I really wanted to see more with her as well as Adelaide, as uh, Drizella, and then my girl, Regina, full circle, you know, night and day from the pilot to the series finale, and I was so proud of her, and I'm glad that uh, she was embraced, even with that corny title of the good queen, you know, she went from the evil queen to the good queen, I just couldn't be more proud for uh, my favorite character.
So I'm going to start off actually in a very similar fashion to Jeff because I want to talk about Zelina first. Um, Zelina is a character that I have loved to hate since she was introduced in season three. Um, she's a character that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being on the show, but one that I didn't need a redemptive arc for. Or at least I didn't know I needed a redemptive arc for her. Um, this season, she has really come up as a character that I can get behind, a character that I enjoyed, and I actually enjoyed, I, I liked the fact that she got some redemption. Um, I like who she became at the end and the character that she was there. The same sassy, you know, in-your-face kind of personality, but with a softer touch about her. Um, and for them to be able to take a character that I absolutely just despised, loved to hate, um, but despised her uh, in seasons three, four, and five, and to actually make that redemption that I didn't like something that I've enjoyed, that's impressive to me. So Zelina as a character has really um, grown on me this season and has become a character that um, I can really get behind and respect to a degree. Um, as far as Tremaine's redemptive art goes, uh, it wasn't really something that I, I cared on. I cared about that much. I, I liked her characterization, but she wasn't a character that I ever was able to get behind in the first season half. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm okay with the fact that she kind of was left hanging a little bit in the fact that she died and that was her, that was as far as her redemption went. Um, Ivy was awesome from start to finish. That character was really intriguing, really interesting, and so very well layered. And Adelaide Kane played that part beautifully. Um, that's a character that I really, if there had been more to Once Upon a Time, I would have loved to see that character come back or to have a stronger role because I feel like she was so very similar to what Regina was um, when we started the show, but also so very, very different and so... Uh, not more complex, but just complex in a different way. So I, I loved her character, and I love the fact that they allowed that character to, to get some redemption, to get to the point where she was able to tell Henry, you know, I really, really wish that I had met you beforehand because maybe all of this would have gone differently. Um, so I loved that character. I love what they did with that character, and I enjoy everything um, that they were saying with that character as well. Um, Regina, like uh, Jeff said uh, a few seconds ago, and like we've all said throughout the season, She's come full circle. It is absolutely amazing to see that character at the point that she is now from where we started back in season one. Because in season one, she was that character that we were all, you kind of loved her, but at the same time, she frustrated the heck out of you because, you know, she was constantly foiling uh, the heroes. Um, and to the point in season seven where she is one of the heroes, she's the one telling us about hope. She's spouting it out. At, in her last speech, and it's absolutely fantastic, and I think that Regina is one of the best redemptive, she is the best redemptive story that they have on this show. She's the character Thank that's you, really, yeah, I got you, I got you, Jess. Um, uh, she's the character that we've followed from season one to season seven, and we've been there for the stumbles, for the little, the hiccups and all that, and she's actually come out far better and far more on top than she was, than I ever believed she would be. Uh, the final one is my man, Rumpelstiltskin, who, thank goodness, finally got his redemption in full. Um, because, and we've talked about season six, about how season six didn't necessarily feel like a full redemption. It felt more very rushed in that. Um, 
that this season really kind of sends it home that this is a very different character. This is not the Rumpelstiltskin that we were dealing with in season four, five, six, anything like that. This is a Rumpelstiltskin who has lived an entire lifetime with the, his family, with the people that he loves, and he's changed so much. And that is, I, I've said before that it's gratifying, but it is so, so gratifying to see that character have a, se- a full season of acting on the side of right with a couple of little hiccups that, yes, they were frustrating, but they were also very in character for Rumpelstiltskin, especially since he is the Dark One dealing with the Dark One's curse, and especially since he's without his moral compass, which is Belle, in this season. Um, that character during this season has been somebody that I've really, really been rooting for, even more than I usually do, because he's... You know, he's on a path that I can get behind 110%. Um, and there's not any kind of um, thinking that goes along with it. It's just he's acting in the way that Rumpelstiltskin is supposed to be acting um, as a redeemed character or as a character who's trying for redemption. And I feel like the way they handled his character going out was beautifully done and very nicely complete. Um, and I think that's everybody. So I think they did a good job on this season with the redemptive arcs. They definitely did. Uh, but I think my favorite is, I mean, you started with Zelina. I'm, I can't not talk about my girl because, I mean, to this day, she's still the backdrop on my phone in mornings ever since the show ended. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that one of the things about Zelina is everyone hated her. And that was what they intended in the beginning, is that she came onto the show as the Wicked Witch, and she slowly became not just this end of half a season long villain. You know, she originally kind of came in as just almost like the Scooby-Doo villain of the day, but it was the villain of the half season because at that point once was doing half a season per a story arc or villain, and they were, you know, rushing a lot of stuff. And I think originally Zelina was just going to be this, like, one-off, but she just slayed it. She came from a place of such absolute darkness, hatred, revenge, and wickedness. And so, in a lot of ways, she was Regina 2.0, but since she was older, I guess she was Regina 1.0. You know, she was the Wicked Queen without the blessings that Regina had, the riches, the tutelage under Rumpelstiltskin. She was this waif who was unwanted from day one and persecuted. And so, she came from a very, very dark place, a very lonely place. And over time, one of the things that I love about this show is that there are times when villains would lapse almost like a drug because power is a drug and the conflict that it brings in some cases is also a drug the drama and with her character finally getting a happy ending and that redemptive arc and happy ending being more than just starting to be accepted at the end of last season to this season to having her have her daughter have had time to raise a family and see her in the capacity of someone who is raising a child and other people are trusting her to do so that to me was the biggest aspect of Zelina's redemptive arc is not only has she gotten what was at first understandably begrudging acceptance she's gotten the consideration and respect that she is no longer the wicked witch she is Zelina she is a part of the heroes you know she had the time to raise a daughter and we can see by Robin the amount of redemption that Delina has gone through because she raised an amazing daughter. And I think Robin is the culmination of everything for Zelina's attempts at happiness. In the end, I think it's not the marriage to Todd or whatever his name was 
or it's not the ex- Tad. Thank you. Um, not Chad. the acceptance of oh Chad. Well, Chad, Tad, Todd. You know, it has D's. Virginia. <laughs> uh, but I think what everyone kind of initially, you know, sees is Zelina getting a happy ending, and Zelina being accepted as redemption. But to me, I think her ultimate redemption is how her daughter ended up becoming such an amazing person. Zelina was able to raise somebody that had the values that the heroes had, and she raised someone who was able to go their own way, make their own decisions, and they didn't have evilness thrust upon them. So Zelina turned out to be a pretty awesome mother in a lot of ways, and to me, that's what I walk away from is her redemptive arc. And because everything else has kind of already been touched on, that's really the only point that I wanted to make about the redemptive arcs because I think that was probably the best way that they could have done it because all she ever wanted was family and she definitely got it. Yeah, I, I really don't have that much more to add because I feel like everyone's really gone over everything, but, and I kind of went over it earlier, but I really liked Ivy's in particular. Um, it was a little rushed and I wish we had gotten to see a little bit more of it, but, um, I really did like her character a lot i love how um we got this character who was very you know underappreciated by her mother and um she was very unloved and um you know everything was about her younger sister and or sorry her older sister yeah that's right and um then we go through the get to the part where her mother dies and says that she has always loved Drizella, or she loves Drizella, and um, then we start, um, we start um, getting to where she starts to have a little bit of redemptive arc. Um, I remember, I'm trying to remember how it all went down, because it was a while ago, but I remember that it was a little rushed, and I felt like they, um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. She was going. We felt like she was redeeming herself, and then she made a bad choice again. And then she she tried to make up for that, and she and her sister did end up going off and being happy together. Um, I wish we had gotten a little bit more of it. I wish we would have seen them off, but I, I guess it wasn't totally necessary. Um, it was up. Let really something that was definitely okay with leaving up to the viewers' imaginations. They didn't really need to show us more, though I would have loved to have seen more. Um, I really liked Zelina's as well. I definitely agree with everything that Vinny said. Um, I've always loved Zelina. You know, she's been one of those characters that... (laughs) She's just... She's so funny. And she's kind of flip-flop back and forth between am I going to be good? Am I going to redeem myself? And season six, you know, she sort of redeemed herself. And I feel like this was a really good, satisfying and redemptive arc for her character. You know, she started the redemptive arc last season and um, really carried through to this season. We see that she did raise her daughter well, even though, um, you know, there was a lot of hurt there. Um, she really did love her daughter and, um, she also loved her fiance and, uh, she made a good choice there to, 
to go back and be with him. And I really wish we had seen more of their story. That's another another story that I wish we had seen more of this season was more of her and her fiance's story. Um, but, you know, for what we got, I did like it. But I really liked her redemption. I think hers was one of my favorites this season. Um, besides for her, I did like Rumples. Um, season six was definitely rushed. It felt uh, way too rushed because his character has been so complicated for six seasons up to that point. Like he's always constantly flipping back and forth between being good, not being good, always hiding secrets. And um, finally this season he did get a good end and I really did like his end. And I feel like, I feel like Rumpel fans who didn't watch the season missed out on something good because I really liked his ending. I thought it was great. I thought they did a really good job with it. Um, they not only gave him redemptive arc with um, himself, but he had a good redemptive arc with him and Hook's relationship, even though it was with Wish Hook. That was really odd to me. I wish it had been our Hook. Um, but I, I did like it for what it represented. Um, and I also liked him like the, his ending how he came he sacrificed himself and then he went to bell and they have a happily ever after and that is something that we've always talked about in the podcast is that he to have him have a proper ending we always felt that he needed to sacrifice himself and we were right and i really like how they did it and how they went about it and the moments that um regina after he had died, you know, the, what Regina, Regina's speech to him at the end and all of that. I thought that was really, it came full circle. Everything came full circle and it made sense and it was really good. And then the last little thing I want to touch on was Regina. I loved, I loved in the end that they crowned her the good queen. Um, that was something that was always throughout the first six seasons, you know, she would always say that you gave me the name, the evil queen, even though she, she really did earn it from all that she did, and um, she always told Snow White, well, I didn't name myself that. You guys named me that. You came up with that name for me. And then to have it come full circle at the end where Snow is proclaiming her as the good queen. I really liked that. Um, it was just a nice touch to end her redemption. And you could definitely see her redemption throughout this whole season, um, particularly... Um, her trying to help people, to help her sister, to help um, Lucy, to help all of these people, her son, um, and to have it end like that, where she is crowned the good queen, um, was just very nice. It was very, it put a good end on her entire story. If you watch it way back from the pilot to now, it's amazing. So um, those are just the little things I want to touch on, but I, I, do feel like they did a good job um they did a good job with the redemption arcs okay i will be closing this one out um i'm really not gonna go gonna dwell on regina rumple and zelina's redemption arcs because i think that was covered masterfully by everybody else i will say i really really wish we could have seen more of zelina and robin after hearing Vinny talk about how their relationship and the woman Robin turned into is evidence of her redemption because that is just something I didn't think about because we didn't get a lot of time with those two together. We see that longing with Zelina, 
but we don't get to see as much as we really should have seen between the two of them. And that's just a shame. But, anyways, so I think I I would just want to touch upon maybe the Tremaines. I've talked about them a little bit before and how I kind of felt that they were the weakest angles of the show, and I didn't know for a while why. Then I read a very interesting post on Tumblr. It was about the fact that the person that the Tremaines really screwed over, who they never got, who they never really got much, of, much in terms of closure with, was Cinderella. She was, when we're introduced to her, she hates them because, you know, she was, you know, because of the story of Cinderella. They forced her to cook and clean, and Tremaine was behind the death of her stepfather. Those are really, those are big things. And we don't really get, and because we don't get the, we don't get a lot of things from Ella's point of view. Um, usually Ella's kind of like almost secondary, almost secondary to other characters where they interact with her, but sometimes they're not, things aren't always from her perspective. And with the redemption, it really does have to sometimes be from the victim's perspective too. So we, and the, we see Ivy apologize to Henry and that's a big deal because she, he's probably like the second person he, she's, she screwed over the most and we don't get to yeah we don't get to see it but we also don't get to see with ella somebody who somebody whose character really was dependent was is somewhat dependent also on the abuse she endured and how that made her a cynic so it's kind of weird how that had a bit of a domino effect on ella and to yeah so with uh, with tremaine and ivy we do get a little scene of ivy and ivy and um and Jacinta together, but unfortunately, because Jacinta has memory loss, even though the, the general, like, the really basic state of their relationship, they don't like each other, is still around, that hidden nature that things are kind of just much worse, and the fact that, uh, I guess, Ella's really not as forgiving as Henry generally, it kind of, it, it leaves something almost lacking. So, that, in addition to just kind of, like, the flakiness that's been said before of at least at the very least Tremaine's redemption kind yeah it makes it it makes it waffly with Ivy it's a little better because we spend time seeing her dabble over things kind of her prepping for this apology prepping for making these things happen and then we get to the episode where it should happen where it does happen and Right before it gets to that moment, granted, like, another thing is kind of, there's another thing that happens, like, her being attacked by the witches and being threatened, but at the same time, it's like, it almost makes some of that build up a little, a little moot, because she just goes, she goes to take Anna's magic, and while she does make amends, well, she does make amends to Anna a little, I guess I just never found it overly believable for either of those two's redemption arcs. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's no, it's no coincidence that Sisterhood was kind of one of the weaker episodes of the season for me, and Charmaine's death was one of the weaker episodes of Secret Garden, because the flashback in that was definitely not problematic at all. But you know what, I'm going to end on a high note. I genuinely, I see where they're going, and I think that the I think that they 
I think that they showed well enough that Ivy was on the beginning of her redemption arc, where Regina's like, I... Regina very clearly doesn't forgive Ivy. There's been too much bad blood, but she does think she can change. So it's kind of a weird... It's a little bit of redemption, so it's opening somebody up to a larger redemption arc. And I think that's serviceable enough. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. So, the redemption in Season 7, not bad. Again, if you want to hear more about Rumpel, um, Regina, and Zelina, definitely go... Uh, I have to. I can't help but echo what everybody else has said about how good their redemptions are and how earned they feel and the characters that that redemption has acted through speak so much of what that redemption actually is and how they feel how they feel earned and good and very satisfying and as long as that was touched upon as long as that as long as those three char- those three characters three of the biggest characters in the season worked that's the best that one can hope for sometimes now we are going to discuss returning favorites so the characters that return for the season whether it be for a teeny 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 tiny small cameo or like an arc that maybe a character that you didn't expect to return for an arc uh, this season just quick little shout outs to the characters that you were glad to see come back for what turned into the final season let's start off with heather Okay, so first and foremost, minor. I, I really just wanted to do a couple of uh, cameo shout-outs. Um, I loved the fact that we got to see Cruella Deville again. Uh, she's been she was one of my favorite characters uh, throughout the series, um, and seeing her again in the light that we saw her in was very funny, very humorous, and a nice little th- uh, cameo for her. I'm so so glad that the Charmings got to come back in because it would not be Once Upon a Time without Snow White and Prince Charming. Um, whenever we first started, whenever the season, the series began, um, Snow White and Prince Charming were two of the characters that I latched on to, um, almost from episode one. They're fantastic, and it's not Once Upon a Time without those two characters. Um, the only other character that I want to uh, touch on as a returning favorite, um, is Rumpelstiltskin. And for the fact that, you know, we knew he was going to be in, that we knew that Bobby Carlyle was returning for season seven. And I have to say that if he had not been returning for season seven, I don't know that I would have. I would have definitely watched season seven, um, but I would not have been as adamant about catching every single episode. Just because that is my favorite character. That's the character that you know it has. Uh, have, I've attached to back since episode one uh, that he's been my favorite. So I'm really, really glad that he got to come back on for one more season. And um, that we got to see that character arc end on such a beautiful and wonderful note. Cruella was probably one of the most loved, I think, <laughs> in the episode that she showed up in, just because she had one of the most fabulous entrances. How can you not when you're Cruella Deville? But other than Cruella, I think what I really wanted to give a shout out to is the return of Robin Hood. Because that scene was just, I didn't know it was the scene that I was living for, and I didn't live for it until it was happening, and then she woke up with the feather. Uh, 
you know, I really, really wasn't that happy with the Shadow Queen. I, I will go to the final ends of our podcasting about Storybrooke and once I never really was into Shadow Queen because I guess I just... I, I sensed how much she loved Robin and I just felt that that relationship needed much more time and he was taken away too soon because Robin was just not getting a lot to do. So when he came back, that was probably my favorite return to have him come back for that one sentimental um, because they never, I really never felt like they got a chance to have closure. He was taken by Hades, you know, and it was just the sad, tragic departure and they brought him back in a way that I never th- would have thought of. I thought it was the underworld. I made the assumption that Regina was going to die. And for him to show up in a dream and just be there when she needed it the most, I was so happy that they were able to do that because it just was so right for her character and coming off of such a poor promise of whatever Shadow Queen could have been. I felt it was awesome for her to get that opportunity to have that one last interaction with someone that was her true love. Uh, and then other than that, I just randomly love the Ariel because of the pitchfork uh-huh. and Siltskin like miniaturizing the pitchfork that she was about to, or the trident when she was about to throw it and made it like a little like Hot Wheels sized trident. And Ariel was always just one of my favorite characters. So having her come back was really, really cool, even for the brief moment. Yeah, I really don't have much else to add, um, except that I, I liked that we got to see so many of our favorite returning characters. Um, guest characters who have been on the show for the first six seasons, some of the favored ones, we got to see them back, which was exciting. Um, I particularly really loved Cruella, um, like Vinny said as well. Um, she's She has always been one of my favorite characters um, since she showed up on the show, which was season five? Four, four was five. Queen's of four. Four. Oh, B. four, okay. Fourth, that's right. Okay, so season four. Um, so you know she didn't show up for quite a while, but uh, she quickly turned into one of my favorites. And so to see her back was fun, and she played her fun role as always, and um, really played it up, which is exciting. Um, we also got to see Pan very briefly. His I was I I wanted more out of because Pan was is like one of my top favorites, and I wish we had seen more, but I do like that we got to see even a little bit. Um, I liked how we got to see Granny. Um, you know, she comes on the show, and she has these great little scenes that are fun, whether it's um, helping fix a car or uh, the last one where she's shooting a crossbow. <laughs> that was great. I, I love that. That's very Granny fashion, and I like how we got to see that. Um Emma got to be back on the show a couple times, which was really exciting. I loved her scenes. I loved the um, second episode where we got to see her announce that she's pregnant. We got to see um, little scenes with her and Hook and young Henry on um, the Jolly Roger. Uh, And then we get to see, of course, at the very end where she comes back in a Regina fashion and kind of interrupts the coronation. Um, But she's got her husband and baby in tow. And um, that was fun. It was was it was cute that um, she was able to be there. I'm really glad um, because, you know, they had said that uh, she would make it back for one episode. And then um, we will not, you know, then they had said that we will not be seeing Emma's or the Captain Swan baby. And I was really upset. And then they announced that it was a series finale and they switched their minds because of the special circumstances. And, um, Jennifer Morrison came back and we got to see their baby. And so that made me really happy. That was a nice ending 
um, for my favorite character. And um, there's just there's a lot of fun cameos. I love the Ariel cameo as well. Um, it was just fun. It was fun to have all of these characters back um, for the last two episodes to really celebrate. It's a celebration of the show, a celebration of some of our favorites, and to remind you that they still are out there in the world doing well. Um, I also really loved the Charmings. I they were some they were my probably one of my favorite guest stars of the finale. Um, they of course came on and they did their um, their uh, famous speeches where they're talking about hope, and then you have the scene where they're um, they're uh, giving Regina the, the crown and calling her the proclaiming her as the good queen and. That was fun. Um, so, yeah, I really liked that we got to see a bunch of our favorite characters show up. Even though the season was so different, we still got to see some of our, some of our favorites. So that was really, really nice. I will keep mine brief because a lot of my favorites have already been mentioned. So I will co-sign with Corella. I will co-sign with Granny because Granny's amazing. And I will add in the Blue Fairy. I was so happy that we got the chance to see her Again, I was also uh, really excited to see, just because it was a total surprise, The Apprentice. That was a character that we were introduced to early on, and um, it was just awesome to see a version of him show up again. And uh, the final one that I want to mention, just because I don't think I really anticipated seeing as much of her as we saw, and then she kind of disappeared, but I knew that she would have to be back for the finale, and that's, once again, Zelina. I'm glad that we got the time that we got with her this season. When they announced that she would be returning, I thought it was going to be like for a smaller arc, or just for a couple of episodes, and the fact that we got her for as many episodes as we did, even though at times it was almost like leapfrogging episodes, like one episode we'd see her, another we wouldn't, and that kind of thing. But the fact that we got her for a little bit longer than I anticipated was uh, a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, those are all the ones that I wanted to shout out. Get ready, everybody. How can I possibly smeak of my favorite returning character? He just smeaks into my heart. And I can't smeak what a role he played during his uh, smearances. He was such a sneaky to Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy that he now resides in the captain's smeak. It's still going. Oh, wow. I think that may have for the whole season. That's why I wanted to go last. Okay, um, I will... Okay, um, to sum up, I am really happy... Sometimes there are characters who just belong in a secondary role, and it doesn't make their roles any less prominent or awesome, and Smee is one of those characters. Every time he appears, we get more insight to um, Hook as a captain. We get more insight to his relationships, his deeper... his how he just rolls. And... Also, we get just some insight into Smee and how loyal of a friend is he is and how good of a friend he is. So to see those relationships act out in such in their really small ways throughout all of the Hook flashbacks was just something so special to Smee. Sorry, I had to throw in another one. And just to not... I'm, I'm basically co-signing everything, but I'm just going to uh, do some quick lines that are really fun. Just going to say some quick moments that really made me laugh. The Apprentice saying how the timeline gave him a total headache. Cruella hitting on older Henry 
and then having her hair taken away and basically acting like that's the worst fucking thing in the world. Um, Grumpy saying, I'm okay, my lunch not so much. Granny having a fucking crossbow on, um, on Robin and Alice. Little Robin sticking her tongue out at older Robin. Um, and, uh, I think that is it. Uh, generally just a lot of really great moments, and I'm happy that I got to touch upon the ones that left an impression on me. If you can smee-leave it. Oh! And then on a high note. Or a low note, depending on how you want to <laughs> classify that. Great form of comedy, shut up. Alright. This fall, at your local community college, improv and puns with Jenna Pace. <laughs> I actually did take improv in college, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. Our next section is titled Leaving Storybrook, and um, it's supposed to be for people that uh, had any other little tiny things that they maybe be thought of uh, about the series finale. Since we chatted about it, it was a three-plus-hour extravaganza, if you missed it. But uh, it turns out that I believe I'm the only one that thought of something that re that I really wanted to say. And TBH, in our next postmortem, there really isn't a section for that. So uh, I guess I have uh, the floor. And the one thing that I realized that I didn't get the chance to say during our uh, extravaganza discussing uh, the series finale was that I liked that the series ended with Regina being single. And uh, Katie might remember this, because we've had several discussions about this at certain points, especially after Outlaw Queen... Uh, was disintegrated before everyone's eyes but one argument that i that i made after that happened was the fact that i'm kind of cool with regina being single because i'm the type of person i don't believe a character needs to be happy by being paired up with someone like they don't need someone else like i don't feel like characters need to be paired up just to be paired up and i did like the idea of regina sort of being single for some time but uh something that i would always say whenever i bring this argument up is the fact that this is once upon a time it is a show about fairy tale characters it's a show about hope and true love and that kind of thing so i knew inevitably regina would be paired up with somebody just because it's that type of show you know everyone kind of has their soulmate or their true love out there and and it's usually expressed throughout the series at some point now obviously it looked like they were going to go that route with shadow queen based on the cancellation and time and whatnot they didn't go that route so ending the series with Regina being single versus some sort of magical MacGuffin in which Robin would have come back to life and then all of a sudden they're together at the end, I think ended up being the more appropriate ending. And, and I kind of liked that they allowed Regina to sort of be single at the end of the series with, you know, love out there at some point and fan fiction can end up writing who she ends up being paired up with in the future. I don't know. Maybe Dracula. Right, Katie? There are so many theories already. <laughs> yes. 
Maybe Dracula. You Maybe never know. Dracula. That was a, <laughs> that was something when they that stupid hot seat from last year. Anyway, <laughs> I know or from two years ago actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the only thing that I wanted to say about uh, ending the series with Regina. Um, if mm-hmm. if you all don't have anything to say in in response to that, we will continue on. Yeah, no, I think you summed it up really well. Yeah, all right. So then we will continue on. And our final section is predictions. I know your listeners, you're like, predicting what? If there (laughs) had been a season eight, what would you have liked to have seen? And and we'll keep this sort of brief because obviously uh, I feel like they ended the series in, in such a perfect way. But was there anything this season in that you would have liked to have seen them to continue to explore in a hypothetical season eight. And uh, I'll go first, and I will obviously say Shadow Queen. You know, had they continued on into the next season, I feel like Facilier would not have died, and obviously the final two hours would not have happened, the final two episodes of the series. So... Explosion of Shadow Queen, giving us a clear explanation as to why they fell in love, how they fell in love, that kind of thing. And exploring a redemptive arc with Facilier would have been awesome. I agree with Jenna in what she said, and I wish that they would have explored this a little bit more. Obviously, they would not have been able to with the characters, but maybe with um, Cinderella. You know, hearing what the Tremaines did and whatnot, and and them being apologetic, like, having her sort of come to grips with what the Tremaines did to her and um, how they were trying to make things right at the end. I think that would have been interesting. And the other thing that I really wish that they would have explored more in a potential Season 8 would be Tiana and Naveen. Like, I was shipping them hard, and uh, they were just so adorable. I would have loved to have seen their romance blossom a little bit more, and and maybe getting a little bit more backstory on Tiana as well. Okay, um, I'm going to go next. I, of course, um, think Shadow Queen definitely should have gotten its representation. Whether they ended up together or not, I felt that there was so much going on that they could have... There could have been... there should, well, there obviously was more to expand upon and to see them together because they have a lot of chemistry and as a villain, a really bad villain to a, re- to a potentially redemptive villain, to a redeemed villain, to a redeemed villain, a hero now, seeing them come together and kind of exploring faults and old patterns and being like, okay, I know that you're angry and you want to do this, but you have to do this, and I know it's hard, I've been there too, here are some tips. Like, ways that they can come together and explore the idea of redemption together, as Regina's now kind of... Regina can take on more of a teacher role, but also on somebody who she has more equal footing with, because Basilier, it's not like with Drizella, where Drizella was kind of almost a student, and because of their age, there was a bit of a power dynamic between them, as unspoken as it was, but in but to actually to actually have to go against somebody who really is a match to her has who matches her in confidence and boldness and age 
and other things. And I think that that would be really cool to explore. Also, as Jeff said, Tiana and Naveen, because they really didn't get a lot of interaction. So much so that I think feel like Tiana's primary ship ended up being Wishhook. And they didn't even have Tiana and Naveen kiss in the show because they weren't close enough to justify it. It would have felt weird and like it came out of nowhere. Well, actually, so, they did have that moment, and I know I mentioned they, it. No, they had that yeah, they could have. Uh, in my mind, they kissed. And, hey, in my mind, they definitely grow to be a couple, but at the same time, the I feel like there was a very explicit reason why they didn't show a kiss, and that reason was Tiana and Naveen spent fuck all time together. And, yeah, even in, in the past, they spent barely any time together, and even and in Hyperion Heights, while they have a backstory together, we barely get to see them together beyond that. We see... This, their episode together, which is only half of an episode, and then we see, like, one or two scenes of them hanging out. So, I, so yeah, I feel like there, there should have been expansion. And one of my final points is Wishhook and Alice together once the curse breaks, because they are finally together. This is after, um, like, 20 years of being separated. They can finally go back and make up for lost time, but at the same time, a lot that time has been lost. Alice is now a grown woman. And it's not quite like Snow and Emma where Emma was barely born when she was separated from her mother. Alice was like eleven. So what are the new parameters of that relationship and how does Wishhook kind of consolidate with the fact that Alice is a young woman now? Um where like I feel like there is stuff to explore because just as he's getting Alice back, Alice and Robin are moving in together. They're gonna get married. Um, how did they find that balance of finally, like, being able to be together, but Alice is a grown woman who needs, who's getting on with her life. She has a job, she has somebody who she's in love with, somebody who's going to become her wife. Where, I feel like there's a great father-daughter dynamic, and what is Wishtuff going to get up into? So, I feel like there was more to explore, and whether or not Rumpel came back would change things a lot, because he might get a new he might get a new partner and how would and so that means there'd probably be a new character in there unless Alice joins the force, which she could. That would be a cool parameter too. Um I love the idea of to make sure that Alice and Wishhook could actually spend time together, they work together. So when Alice goes home, she can hang out with Robin. So it's not intrusive, but them finally being together doesn't necessarily but Alice having a life can still happen in a cohesive and harmonious way. So that's what I would have wanted out of season eight. Yeah, yeah. I think you brought up an interesting point too. I always thought it would be interesting to see what it would a season would look like without Rumble. Like, there's no way that they were going to bring him back. So what would that season have looked like? Would we have explored what what Gideon is doing? Would we just com- kind of completely ignore? Um. Rumple and Belle and their child that they've left behind or that's been left behind. Um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened there. I would have been most interested to see what would have happened with the convergence of the realms, I guess you can say. This new realm that has all of all of the different um, the different places. What would that have looked like? I think that would have been very interesting to see play out in a season what would it look like to have regina be queen of all of these realms um the first elected leader um what would henry 
and Ella and Lucy's life look like. Um, I I don't have many like theories, but I I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on how interesting it would be to have seen things like that. Um, particularly, I'm just really interested in the whole them combining all the realms. I really would have loved to have seen what that would have looked like on screen and what life would have looked like. Um, you'd have fairy tale characters roaming throughout the streets of Ro- Storybrooke. Um, you'd have um, people visiting several of these different places in a day. It just it would have been really interesting to see. And I think I one of the things I would have really have loved to delve into more was Shadow Queen. I would have loved to have seen them develop that and get more backstory, get them to have a future together. Though I do agree with Jeff that I, I really do like that Regina's happy ending didn't include a man. Um, that was very nice to see on, on screen, especially on a show that's about true love. Sometimes it's okay. You don't have to get married. You don't have to find true love. Sometimes your happy ending doesn't include a significant other, and I really liked that. But... That said, I would have liked to have seen what they would have done um, if they hadn't have had to have killed him off so quickly. Um, I just think that, that that would have been very interesting. So those those are two of the things that I really would have liked to have explored. That and also, like you were saying, Jenna, um, Rogers and Ailes' relationship, just to see what that would have what would have gone on there. Um, so yeah. I love that you agreed with me that Regina didn't need a man at the end. Uh, so I apologize for the shade that's going to follow because I do <laughs> like that you agreed with me and, and I, I, I could be uh, gracious for that, but I am going to throw a little shade. I love the fact that we're in our second to last episode uh, ever of podcasting and, and you're admitting that you are a shadow queen fan when Jenna and I hey! asked you many moons ago and you decided to be Switzerland. You hey, didn't want to join I, us I while Vinny and Heather were on their rotten log. Of hating We've been consistent. Said, <laughs> yes, we have I, been consistent. I always said I would have liked to have seen more of them to really like Jenna, do you believe her? also in katie's defense i would say that the idea of regina either being single or having a man is kind of a bit of a multifaceted thing because you can definitely be strong being single but at the same time there's nothing wrong with love there's nothing wrong yeah. with love because we also have not what we're showing that discussing. regina can be happy and can have a can have happiness jenna pace is filibustering I'm not blustering. I'm no, filibustering. Filibustering. Yes, because she's like, in Katie's defense, you're not defending her on her shadow queen lies. I'm not. I'm just you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. Your, your shade, Jeffrey. <laughs> I wasn't lying. I have no. always said. She didn't lie. I There's no shade on the no shadow queens. I mean, I could just yeah. invade Switzerland and take my turn now. Please go. <laughs> there you go. No, but I will say I do like I do like that you've joined Jenna and myself. So th- thank you for joining the correct side, Katie. Yay. Uh, Counting my multiple personalities, we still have the majority. <laughs> All right, Sybil. <laughs> so. I'm going to go a little bit outside the box because I, there, I, there's one thing that I always wanted to see on Once Upon a Time that never got to happen, and that's the Black Cauldron. Oh, one, yes. Yes. That's true. 
one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. It's kind of like one of the bastard children of Disney movies because they like to pretend like it didn't happen. Um, but I always felt that the Black Cauldron and its story would fit so well within the Once Upon a Time universe. You know, a cauldron that has an army of the dead and a person that's like bent over backwards to trying to find it. So going with Rumple, you know, dying in this season, if we had a season eight, I would like to see him not come back. But I would like to see some kind of metaphor for the fact that no matter what you do, there always needs to be a balance that goes back and forth. You can't ever have too much good or too much bad in the world. And I would have loved to continue the story of Regina leading this new joint kingdom. But the fact to come into play that... Just like you need to get rid of evil when there's too much of it, evil has to kind of balance out good. We need to walk a line, and occasionally the justice scales will go in favor of one or the other, but you can't ever get rid of one fully. And so it would have been interesting to maybe incorporate something where a new villain arises, but it's not the typical type, like Gothel coming from a history of, like, what she came from, where it was a good person that was vilified. I would have liked to see another villain like Cruella, another villain that, you know, kind of was like going out for blood just because that's who they are. Because Cruella did such a good job with that, but she was still kind of a minor villain. I would like to have someone just, there is no saving them. There is no redeeming them. And having that go up against the team of heroes because i think now with regina having completed her journey to where she's now the good queen as much as i hate to say the words good queen because they sound stupid but you know she called her the united queen something more with more than one syllable (laughs) i'm sorry for interrupting you that's okay um but i would have really liked to see her you know proceeding on the side of light now being there, going up against someone who is basically where she was in season one, but without her ability to love, her ability to have weakness. I think that would have been incredibly interesting to go against a one-dimensional villain who doesn't have a history they can be redeemed from. You know, they, they just want to do it, and I thought that would be the perfect opportunity to bring something like the Black Cauldron you know, into play, because that was something that was just a tool that, if into the wrong hands of the Horned King could have unleashed unholy hell across all of these newly united realms. I just had this image of, like, the cauldron, because I just watched the movie the other day, but, like, the undead spilling out and the various realms having to deal with it and them kind of upping the scale. I would have really liked to see something interesting like that take place. Uh, And also, Lily and Maleficent coming back. Benny, I just had a cool idea. Hmm. Based off your Black Cauldron idea. Okay, so they definitely shouldn't bring Rumpel back, but how about threatened to bring Rumple back because the army of the dead, Rumple's now dead, he's the dark one, bring, threatened to bring him back. Don't bring him back. Maybe have cameos, maybe have like somebody dreaming of him, but don't bring him, but don't bring him back, but threaten to bring him back. Kind of like Sauron in uh, um, uh, Lord of the Rings, where it's like yeah. the threat never happens, but it gets damn close. Yeah, I, I think that would be interesting. I would almost like to have brought in the Dark One powers in some way, because I've watched a few times, and I'm, I'm guessing that now that he's dead, the power has just dispersed. I don't, did they, did they actually say what happened? I can't remember. Like, they didn't say it, but for it to have also killed Wishrumple, Wish it would have had yeah. to have, dis- it would have, had to have dispersed. Yeah. So Maybe I, collected somewhere. Some Exactly. We never saw the dagger mm-hmm. in the, the dark Maybe. Vault. It, I was about to say, it probably went back to the vault. Let's just yeah. deal with that. 
<laughs> but you know, in a way of like almost wanting to bring him back, they could journey to the vault just to you know research, or maybe someone broke into the vault and stole the cauldron from there because it was one of the treasures hidden in the Dark One's vault. And it's the United Realms, because so a lot of kings just lost their power. Maybe one of them is like, "Hey, I wanted to, I want to be the boss again. Let me take the Dark One's dagger so I have some power." Right. Or I'm if so you think sorry. of the kings in a council, Regina's mm-hmm. sort of like the head of the council, but like each specific realm or kingdom yeah. is still run by its person. Yeah, she's kind of like the Empress. The UN. Sort yeah. Of. There could still be a vindictive king there. Yeah. Well, Once you know upon a time, king season eight. Misogynistic. There's got to be. There's there you right go. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Uh, I would have also liked to see a little bit more adventures with the new cast and the old cast together, which would, you know, just to see the new dynamics. Like, I would love to see Ella and Emma on a quest together, just to see how that went. Hmm. Yes. That would have been cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I will not reiterate anybody's. Um, so, mine are pretty quick. Um, I would have loved to see... Um, Returning characters like um, Gideon coming back in and seeing him as an actual adult and how he's doing. I would have loved to see adult um, Neil Charming and how he's doing in the world. Um, in Season 8, I would also very much enjoy seeing a relationship between Roland and Robin. Now that the, all of the um, uh, realms have been united, they have to have they have to know each other as half-brother, half-sister, and that would be an interesting dynamic. Um I would also really have enjoyed to see the different dynamics between the multiple characters that we now have. So we have two Hooks, we've got a couple Henrys, there's some Reginas out there as well. Just how interesting and the humor behind all of that, as well as, you know, the the different versions that we now have of Cinderella and um, the Tremaines and all of that. That would have been a very interesting um, thing to have to deal with and explain in Season 8. Um, the final thing I would have liked to see in season eight is Will Scarlet and Anastasia having some kind of resolution to their story. Oh yes, yeah, and that is all. <laughs> I approve. And to end this, I feel like we can all agree we would have loved to have seen the Alice and Robin wedding. Yes, yes. I'm actually going to ask Beverly Elliott about how she would cater that wedding at the Once Upon a Time convention. I love it. A lot of meat. As final loaf. Russian judge statement, I will say that I could have done without it as much as I love the two of them, but eh. <laughs> well, on that note, join us next time for our very final podcast a special farewell to Once Upon a Time postmortem edition of Storybrook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storybrookweeklymirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com.
Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, guys. Good night. Au revoir, mes amis. Night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.